Merry Christmas, gang. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Moded Studios Embroidered Patches and Apparel. Go to modedstudios.com and check out the selection. Their hot seller this season is the Baby Yoda from the Mandalorian patch and beanie. Actually, the beanie's doing better than the patch, but shit, go out and get one of those. But if you don't like Yoda, then check out the Wu-Tang patches, the SpongeBob patches. Check out all the patches at modedstudios.com. They're always updating their website, and they do custom work. Modedstudios.com, M-O-D-E-D-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. Go out and get yourself some. Now, let's have a Merry Christmas And listen to this. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of the We Speak English Good podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Ed McGee. Uh, Ed is a singer-songwriter, and he was formerly of Acoustic Hookah, but is currently a part of Acoustic Hookah 2.0. He has a new album out called The Life in Their Bones. I love the concept. It's just, he he does a stripped-down version of songs that he's written over the last you know, 20 some years of his uh, amazing career. He also has another album out. You can find those albums at Alexander's Trading Post. Uh, and you can find a, uh, if you Google that, they'll come up. And if you go to his Facebook page, Ed McGee Music, uh, there's a link there. And I'll put it in the show notes so you can just go directly there. He has a, it looks like he has a Christmas special going on. So uh, <laughs> I know it's Christmas now, but. Uh, maybe it's still on sale, but he has all kinds of cool stuff on there, like t-shirts, uh, handwritten lyrics, and and uh, and uh, illustrations, and uh, it's really cool. I dig what he's doing with his site there, so go check it out. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet so we can get into the conversation, so Merry Christmas. I just wanted to throw that out there, and also go to reinamystique.com, R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E.com, and check out our latest album, 1018. We had a real pleasure in making the album, and we know you'll have a real pleasure listening to it. Also, while you're there, go to the Experience tab and check out where Reina and I will be playing around the Toledo, Ohio area. Uh, also, you can follow us on Instagram at We Speak English Good and at We Speak English Good on Facebook.com. Um, I'm getting a little lazy on the tutorials. I know, I know it's been a crazy time of year. Obviously, it's nuts for everybody, but we're going to get right back into it for 2020. So be on the lookout for that. Leave a review on iTunes. Uh, It helps. It helps. Any reviews on any platform helps. So you can leave a review on iTunes, uh, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, just leave a review. It's real easy. You can just click the stars or if you're feeling ambitious, write a thing, write, write, write something and I'll read it on the show. You can also write the show directly at WeSpeakEnglishGood at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. How did you think this conversation with Ed McGee went? Did I make a complete ass of myself like I usually do? And the answer is yes, I do make an ass of myself. 
<laughs> You'll have to find out. Listen, it's fucking awesome conversation. I'm just gonna keep saying that. Uh, I think that's it. Let, let's just say that's it. Yeah, fuck it. It's it. So, uh, just a little warning before we jump into the episode. We did have some connection problems. I vow never to use Facebook Messenger as a form of communication. So right in the middle of the conversation, we switch over to the phone. I edited everything together, so it kind of goes through seamlessly, but it is very obvious. So enjoy this crystal clear conversation with uh, a legend in, in the scene, Mr. Ed McGee. Man. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Excellent, excellent. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and and sending those CDs. I've been loving the music. And, oh, cool. Uh, and uh, it, I, I actually uh, I actually reached out to a friend, the the first guy who ever actually introduced me to hookah. And uh, I was I was asking him about um, some lyrics for uh, because. Because Alexander obviously is one of your uh, one of I, I mean you made three of them so they're one of, it must be one of your your favorite songs or at least a fan favorite for you to keep the the story going for so long and I was asking him I was asking him I was like dude all these years I've been listening to Alexander Alexander two and then now three is out but uh, or the third and um, I'm like what what is he talking about here because I was like I know there's some ghost I know there's like a fire. <laughs> But like you know, like I just never, and I, and I'm sorry, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but like I'm just terrible at like absorbing lyrics. I, I'm more of a production kind of guy. I, I work in the produ- production side of music, so like lyrics, they they kind of fall deaf on my ears, but they they do stick, and yours tend to stick. So what? So I went and looked up the lyrics, and I'm like. I was chatting with them. I was like, "Did you know there's like this sexual assault on this young boy by ghosts?" <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it all I remember now." <laughs> so, because he forgot, he he told me the story briefly, but then left out the sexual assault on the goat. And, I, and like this whole time, I'm like, "Oh my god, I had no idea that that's what this was about." And and yeah. I know that's not the whole story, obviously, but it's like <laughs> it, it's like sort of the end of the first song, and then you sort of get to. So I, I just wanted to open up with that. I guess a little icebreaker. To, <laughs> Yeah, I was a little um, Alexander. I mean, that's obviously one of your. Uh, I mean, uh, what are your feelings on Alexander and and how it's sort of morphed into several chapters? What what like, what are your feelings on the song and where it's gone? Um, well, I guess it's something I'm. I'm. I don't know if a pride is the right word. You know, it's uh. I have other songs that I kind of feel proud of and I really feel like, you know, all the kind of like some songs feel like they can be the culmination of all, all your work that you've done in the past to, to hone your craft or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't matter how much work you've done and the stuff just doesn't come together when you have an idea and other times it does. And it's, it's a glorious thing when it does, but you know, Alexander just, I, I don't know if it really falls into that category. It's become this huge thing, but it just really started with a with me just messing around with um, in one of my writing books. I was just working on some some little 
technique that I just kind of come up with, which was instead of having rhymes at the end of each line, which is the way it always is, having sort of rhymed words all throughout the line um, and still have it try to make some sense. So I think I had originally written salamander starts to ponder, wander and meander floor to floor, you know, and uh, and I just thought it sounded cool and it made no sense at all. <laughs> um, but I changed it to Alexander and suddenly I pictured this kid wandering floor to floor through some huge house and that made me think of ghosts and then i the story just immediately started developing from there um and yeah and that first one was really not so much alexander one's not so much a good story as maybe a chapter or two in a story um and uh, yeah and i and i had been working on it for a while and the drummer in my band at the time said um, when are you going to finish Alexander? Because he'd already heard some of the music and wanted our band to play it. Um, and I said, well, I, I don't know how the story ends. And he's like, well, every good story's got a sex scene. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I'd already kind of ripped off uh, or borrowed a line from Stephen King's book, It. Um, he thrusts his fists against the posts mm. and still insists he sees the ghosts. Um, and that, that book uh, has a pretty startling kind of group sex scene in it it's not in the movie but it's it's in the book and i was like gee stephen king you really like no no depths you know yeah and, uh, and so i guess that was fresh on my mind and and so when my drummer said that i said uh all right i'll try to write a sex scene you know and that's how that weird scene ends up in the end um yeah that's definitely not under one of my proudest moments it's a little creepy even singing it to me these days but oh, wow. i do I mean, I don't know. It's no, not no, like that's interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, because because uh, just because you've continued the story for so long and for over, you know, for you've had it stretch for so long, so it's it's interesting to me that that you it's a little bit you know creepy for you to sing, even though it's like a fan favorite and people are probably singing along with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I wonder too if if people have any idea what I'm actually saying, you know, and so maybe it's best that they don't sometimes, but. Uh, <laughs> Right. Well, well, that's what that's what that's what sucks. Well, not sucks, but it, it's what's um, it's what's weird about trying to like you know nail down an artist to to have them explain their art. Um, it, it's weird because it kind of matches up with kind of what I'm dealing with with another another thing I'm working on, which is uh, it, it involves "I Am the Walrus" by the Beatles, which was a song that was sort of in in tail or, or um. They kind of wrote it to sort of thumb their nose at people who dig too deeply into lyrics and and the meaning of of art, and mm -hmm. so so that for whatever reason I just brought that up. But it just because I'm working on it right now, that's just ringing in my head. So so to press you and to to you know for you to explain yourself, you know it, it does. I almost do, do feel like it kind of takes away from the magic of people putting their own meaning on what you created and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, but still, I mean, it does blatantly say that he's, you know, having this sex orgy with these ghosts, which I love, by the way, I love it. Like, like to, um, after all these years to, uh, to find that to be the ending that I never really put together, like. I think that's awesome. So, so thank you for well, that. Technically, to, to be just to be fair, sure. the um, the real ending is that um, in that sort of uh, it's not even sex; it's more like a rape scene, right? Right, exactly. Uh, 
he he dies at the end of that. That's what um, I it, and becomes a ghost himself to get revenge on all the kids that had been teasing him because they never saw any ghosts. Um, now he's going to be haunting them, and he's also sort of entered the ghost world, so he can not be freaked out by the ghosts that were in his face. So it's kind of like in this backwards, dark way, a good thing for him at the end, right. or he gets kind of dark revenge in some bizarro Stephen King esque way. Um, so yeah, you know. So it's meanwhile, thousands of hippies are singing along with you, high as fuck, got drugs, just loving every minute of it. Right. <laughs> I love and, it. And I, and I just want to say that, like, I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to uh, say too much and ruin anyone's experience and or yours or, you know, yeah. when you say it sometimes can be hazardous to to have a song picked apart like this or, you know, hear from the songwriter. But I, I, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle on that because, um, you know, I kind of, uh, I studied... I studied a lot of poetry and I, all my favorite songwriters are people who spent lots of times, uh, lots of time and effort on their lyrics. And, and I think there's plenty of songs out there that don't have much meaning and you can, you know, sort of attribute whatever you want to it. But most of my favorites do have meaning and I love being able to, to dive in and um, pick them apart and, and see the incredible, marriage between the meaning of the lyrics and the feeling of the music um and if you don't know the meaning of the mu the the lyrics you never get to that third what i would consider sort of a third level uh which is the marriage of the music feeling and the lyric meaning and um i feel sorry for people that kind of ignore lyrics because that's a sort of supreme place that i i just think is a wonderful place to be yeah. um, when when you're really feeling the music and the feeling of the weight of the meaning of the lyrics at the same time and seeing how the artist put them both together can be magical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I was not trying to like denigrate any part of what you've written or done. Uh, I think it's, I think it's great. And, and, and yeah, I, I think it is sad. Especially, I mean, cause like when I think of myself, especially cause, cause like I said at the beginning here that I, I'm, I work a lot in the production side of things. So music, like when I'm listening to a song with lyrics and, and I've talked to a few people who kind of feel or hear it the same, um, they the 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 lyrics and the melody of the voice just become a part of the whole and mm -hmm. so w i'm not focusing so much on the meaning of the lyrics rather than the feeling that i'm getting that the that the vocalist is projecting so mm -hmm. it, it, it's um so you do lose that and, and you're right and and it does make <laughs> it does make me feel like i should just i should look a little bit more into it i can't sing where the shit either so i, I think that has something to do with why i'm not I, I don't focus that much on it but do you have any songs that you might have stopped playing because maybe it's changed meaning or the meanings it, it, it you don't you don't appreciate the meaning anymore or or maybe it loses its meaning or or changes do you ever do you ever lose like music or lose a song or take it out of your repertoire because maybe it's it's not that for you anymore that's an interesting question um i think that there i think for the most part i feel like when i'm singing a song that i wrote it's kind of like i'm uh I'm playing a part in a in a little play or a scene in a play or something. Um, I feel like a character all of a sudden, and I'm like adopting the voice of of the of the character when I'm singing one of the songs. And um, 
a lot of my songs are fictional. So I'm, you know, that's truly me playing like, you know, in my song, Another You. It's about this guy who's just, you know, so desperate to to win the love of this woman. And uh, and she's just kind of a jerk to him. And then, in the, you know, by the end of the song, he's found, you know, a real love. And he's got his own sort of weird, not revenge, but just he feels better because he can yet use her mean words back on her because now he's happy. And so I really feel like the kind of spiteful but triumphant, you know, thing of that guy when I'm singing it, um, and the, and his heart sickness in the beginning, I feel that too. Um, even though it's completely fictional, and um, and so even if it's a song that's not fictional, it's kind of the same thing. So if if I disagree with with what I wrote, you know, like that Alexander one I wrote when I was 24 or something, and you know I'm 50 now. Mm -hmm. So if like if there's any part of it that doesn't kind of sit well or doesn't line up with who I am today. It's it's just like I'm playing that role of the of a younger me, I guess, or a younger person. Mm. Um, and so I you know there, there is one song I guess that I would be less likely to play because I kind of wrote it um with some heavy I guess Catholic thoughts in it or something like that. And I'm um agnostic now. So it's a little odd for me to sing, you know, something where I'm clearly singing about faith and things like that. So I don't want to seem like a hypocrite. Um, and it's not as easy to kind of feel like I'm playing a role, you know, singing that song. So that's one that I, I probably wouldn't, you know, feel as comfortable singing or not comfortable, but just, just not lend, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to me to play it, you know, but for the rest, for the most part, I think I just feel like I'm playing a role. And so I can just, do that with any old song and not feel too bad about it. I, I like that. I, I I think that's a great point to point out. And it's something that uh, my wife, she's a vocal teacher. It's something that sort of rings out to me because my wife will explain this a lot to her students is that when you are singing a song, whether it's yours or you're doing a cover, um, knowing what the song means and then feel understand what it means to you and then filling that role as as that that emotion and putting that emotion and putting those inflections to create you know to to uh to put off that meaning so you're always sort of falling into a role it's like many little acts many little plays that you're doing each each song is like this mini little play that you're doing and you're, you're doing this you know you're acting it out and you're performing but you're doing it through your voice or your performance and and so th i think that's a great point and a great thing to sort of um, point out to people who might be learning how to write or learning how uh you know learning how to find their even even find their voice is uh is really putting yourself into a role and understanding what that emotion is what these characters are doing and, and trying to you know match that with your the your voice and yourself would you agree with that ed <laughs> absolutely yeah okay. i mean I, I think it's it's an incredible freeing experience to uh if, if you can't i mean it's it's a little weird to kind of let go and uh and let yourself be absorbed to the point where you're becoming a different um person a different character um but if you can do it i think it's really freeing and it's a amazing experience and just to you know, like you're in between songs and you're drinking a beer and laughing with somebody in the crowd or in your band or whatever. And then like 30 seconds later, you're just 
full, you know, all in with some character who's going through something, whether it's happy or sad or angry or whatever. It's it's kind of fun to like. I've always I've always had a kind of it's not a secret uh, desire or anything, but um, this is not something that comes up. But I, I've always wanted to try acting. I just think it would be really fun because I feel like that's sort of what I'm doing in a way when I'm getting into these songs. Yeah. So. Yeah, especially especially coming from your songs because you are you are a storyteller. Like you go out of your way to write stories to music, and, and hell yeah, I, I could definitely see you uh, um, doing well with acting. In fact, I mean to be able to channel all those stories every night that you're playing out there and to put them out there for people and put yourself in such a vulnerable state every day or every time you perform. I mean, that's that's right up acting's alley right there. Yeah, maybe someday I'll uh, join the community theater. <laughs> yeah, why not, man? Why not? You know, I I've been uh I've been I've been talking about doing improv because my wife actually started doing acting and and um and she's doing well with it actually. She just did a movie and in, in like like a a real movie with the director that did the Black Panther. They're shooting in Mansfield. Mm -hmm. So she's doing well with it, is what I'm saying. I wasn't trying to brag about my wife, even though that's what it sounded like. It's, I just bragged about my wife. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, but, that's awesome. But no, she. But but it was it was a it was a natural step for her, and and so I've been thinking about doing some stuff, but I, I just don't like the idea. Like, because they tell me about she tells me about some of the exercises they do, like where they. I, I don't know how much you know about acting or how many actors you know, but they do this thing where they stare into each other's eyes. And uh, with their mouth gaped open, just relaxed open, and they just stare into each other's eyes for like ten minutes. And that's, oh my god, isn't that doesn't that sound fucking terrified? That's not, yeah, that that's sounds weird. Awful. <laughs> that sounds fucking awful. I, I hope I can skip that day. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, this is like every day. Every day she shows up. It's like okay, everybody. It's time to receive each other. It's called receiving. Oh even it's even called receiving. God damn it. Wow. That's bizarre. It, it, it is weird. But, you know, hey, uh, we got to try something new every once in a while or else we just... I think I just changed my mind. I don't think I want to act. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I don't mean to take... I don't mean to, to, to piss on your parade there, man. Uh, yeah. But let's let's back up a bit. Let, let's... let's, let's what, what's your lineage of music? Like, where, where do you come from within music? Does your family have a... Do you have a family full of musicians or were you the the lone wolf out there? Yeah, it was a pretty uh, creative family. The um, let's see, I, it really both sides of my family, my mom's and my dad's, had a lot of music going on. My dad um, was from South Africa and grew up in a very strict Baptist community where they sang in church um, probably several times a week, but certainly on Sundays. And and so that you know, singing in church. And um, but he also grew up right around a lot of Zulus, and so. He, he learned all, how to speak Zulu and learned a lot of songs that the Zulu people would sing when they were, I don't know what they were doing, I guess, but um, he learned all these songs. So when I was growing up, when we'd be on car rides and stuff, road trips, instead of singing, yeah, I don't know what people were singing, the wheels of the bus go round and round or whatever. I don't know what people, Flintstones, but I, we were singing these Zulu songs and I didn't even know what the words meant, but you know, we would just be singing along with that and, um, and then my mom, you know, her family um, also had a lot of music going on with it. My mom's, one of my mom's sisters um, was a, uh, 
uh, oboist and almost became a you know professional. She was a teacher of oboe and married a famous oboe player in symphonies and um, and her whole family sang and played piano and everything. So um, I think you know it was just kind of a constant thing growing up and being the youngest of three uh, siblings um, or three kids. Um, and by quite a bit, my sister's seven years older than me and my brother's five years older than me. I just grew up listening to my sister learning to play piano. And my brother was really into, you know, rock and roll. So he always had the best stereo um, and was always trying to get me to listen to this and that. And so I was sort of uh, inundated with it and happily. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it all started with me. Oh, yeah, man. The the older siblings, you just... You can't get a better education with music than than that's if your older siblings isn't like a complete square or whatever you know, <laughs> but but right. most of the time an older sibling will do you about right. I mean, because like I, I remember my sister was huge. It was like Dr. Dre, fucking Motley Crue, uh, a Pink Floyd, you know, all these like amazing bands that she was uh, um, influencing on me. It's like yeah, man, the older siblings are so super important. Uh, so you, uh, so then, what was the first instrument you? T- so you were singing, you were singing at church, and you mentioned Catholicism. So I, I'm, uh, you were involved in the Catholic Church too, or just no? The- I no, my it was my my parents were more into church. I, I, it's not there. That's scary. Um, sorry, I'm talking to my wife for no, one no, second. No, no, totally cool. I get- um, you found it. Dude, you just scared the shit out of me. Thank you. <laughs> I just realized I didn't have my wedding ring on, and I took a shower a while ago, and she was just going to the bathroom. I'm like, can you check for my ring? She's like, it's not there, but it was. She was just messing with me. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I, I went to church a little bit, um, and then uh, luckily – my hockey life took over. I was playing in a travel team that played away games on, on Saturdays and Sundays. And my parents were like, you're going to have to make a choice whether to continue with Sunday school and church or playing hockey. And I'm like, uh, let me think about it. And, <laughs> and so that was a glorious moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you abandoned, um, you abandoned religion rather early in life. Well, I didn't. I mean, I like I said, I I had some sense of faith until I was in my, I guess, twenties, late twenties or so. Mm, okay. So there, there is some mention, you know, some references to it in some of my songs. Um, one song in particular that I was mentioning earlier. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, not not that wasn't a huge thing in my life really. Mm. Um, but or it certainly isn't now. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, so then, so you were singing in church. So, when did you start playing instruments, and what was your first instrument? Again, I wasn't singing in church. I, oh, I was I'm only... so sorry. I'm so. You just said that, my God. Yeah, I'm so yeah, my sorry. Parents did. Yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. I'm so sorry about that. But when did you start um, discovering your voice and and start picking up instruments? Well, I I wanted to. I think from a pretty, like, uh, I guess I was going to say young age, but nowadays people start super young. So I guess, you know, in around sixth grade was when I really became interested in uh, music and the concept of being in a band 
occurred to me. I, I had um, kind of gone through my parents' record collection, and they didn't really have much I was interested in. Um, and I wasn't really allowed to go through my brothers, but I went through, you know, my, my parents and the only things that they had in there that I was interested in was, uh, they had a, um, the best of the beach boys, uh, album on vinyl. And so I kind of stole that and brought it into my room and quickly fell in love with it. And, you know, it was like a picture of the beach boys hanging out together on the beach on one side of it or something. And I was like, man, being in a band looks like it's so much fun. And, uh, and so I, at that time, I was I was singing along with the Beach Boys, and that may, may have helped me learning about harmony and melody and stuff. But I hated singing. I, I just did it because I wanted, you know, I was trying to get into the band and uh, get into the music. And um, I also wanted to learn to play guitar around then. And I played air guitar and my lacrosse stick for quite a while. <laughs> and I even went to the extent where I if I heard the guitar notes were getting higher, I would move my hand up the lacrosse stick. I thought at the very least I could start getting used to the, that concept that the higher up the neck, the higher the notes and, and, you know, see if I could uh, strum in time, but it was, you know, and my mom played guitar. Uh, so she taught me my first chords probably around then. And I started learning how to strum on uh, her like folk guitar. Um, so that's kind of how it started. I think my brother had some interest in it as well and borrowed an electric guitar from someone. So he let me mess around with that. Um, and then eventually, you know, maybe by eighth grade or so, maybe ninth grade, I got my own acoustic uh, steel string guitar and an electric guitar eventually. And I think I borrowed an amp from my sister's boyfriend at the time. And, and that's how that all started. Right on. So, when when did you start uh, doing the band thing then? And and did you and did and since you hated singing, did you did you step into the role as the lead singer just because oh, yeah. of well, necessity? What yeah? What happened with that was um, all through high school, and I was fascinated with. I was obsessed with guitar, playing guitar, and. Um, and also lyrics and writing. I mean, I, I'd been writing little poems and lyrics and things since I was in third grade. So um, I guess I realized at some point in high school that in The Who, um, Pete Townsend was writing the songs and the lyrics and Roger Daltrey would sing them and he would just sing harmony once in a while and occasionally take lead on a song. And so I thought maybe that would be my model. That's what I could do. I could be like the Pete Townsend of a band, write the music and lyrics and just have someone else sing them. And, um, and then I went to college, um, went to Ohio state and got into the grateful dead. And I just happened to like, you know, I'd just gotten into them and I was learning some of their songs. And as usual, I hated singing and I was trying to sing like, some Jerry song and, and some of the songs I learned by Jerry at the time were kind of like those crooner kind of songs where you really have to hold a note for a while, you know, like, uh, all the years combined, you know, and you're just like having to milk these moments. Whereas then all of a sudden I learned a couple Bob songs and it was much more like, uh, um, you know, patience runs out on the junkie, just like a quick burst or, you know, or, uh, um, escaping through the lily fields, I came across an empty space. It's almost like just 
rapping or this Dylan-esque kind of short bursts of breath. And I just, I loved it. And it, and it kind of made me want to sing those songs. So I was like learning them when I was in college and playing in open mics and stuff. And part of me still, I had been working on these songs I'd written. Like, I think I'd written Lady Vanilla and Through Hiker by then. And I was still waiting to find my Roger Daltrey, my prince. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and having not found one yet, I was singing them myself and not enjoying it at all. But then I started singing these Bob Weir songs. And for the first time, I found that I enjoyed singing and thought I actually could sing. And um, certainly when I was like covering a Bob Weir dead song, I would be mimicking him. But I found that when I started writing my own songs, I don't think I was mimicking him anymore. It was more just like I was borrowing some parts of his style or something. And then the confidence that I got from that allowed me to move forward as being an actual singer. Yeah. That that's, that's awesome. That I, I, I find that a lot with people who are like, uh, who, who aren't, especially like, uh, guitarists who are, or something who were like, well, I, I didn't really like playing guitar. I like playing bass, you know, but then like they just excelled at it because they started learning these songs and they started seeing that they could do it. And as soon as you start seeing that you can accomplish it, you start taking it on and being like, wait, I could really do this. And that's where you kind of start finding your own voice. That's when you start searching, I guess. And what, when did you find, I mean, cause like you have a very unique voice and you have that vibrato that, that people love. And uh, when did that all start kind of showing itself to you? Well, you know, it's funny, I, I have kind of um, mixed feelings about the vibrato thing, because um, I'm pretty sure the vibrato came around in my late 20s as a result of my hearing loss. Oh. Um, yeah. Is that oh. my No, that's doing? me. It's my, no, oh, okay. it's, it's my computer buzzing back here. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, yeah no, no worries. I was going see if I could mute it if it wasn't, if it was me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't. I don't really, it's, it's kind of become a weird crutch that is hard for me to let go of. Um, wow. I, I'm, I'm, I I'm damaged my, what's that? No, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Just keep going. Yeah, no, it's not, it's just, you know, it's the, it's the uh, result of just being a young punk who didn't protect his ears. Mm. You know, everyone was saying you use protect, you know, like earplugs or in-ear monitors. I, I don't know if they even had decent in-ear monitors in the mid-90s, but um, I didn't, you know, I was playing with local color in, in the South Heidelberg every Monday for two years. Um, and, you know, basement bar, roofs right right above your hair. And... Um, just loud and the drum and the drummer, same one that uh, convinced me to put a sex scene in Alexander. His crash symbol was right by my right ear, and so just like all night long, every Monday for two years, it just it got to the point when I was about twenty four, twenty five, where I couldn't talk on the phone in my right ear anymore, mm -hmm. and uh, I had to switch to my left ear, which I remember it felt weird at the time because I'm right handed, um, you know, and I just got used to it after a while. Um, and then, you know, I joined hookah a couple of years later and I, you know, Sweeney always said he had kind of hearing loss of some sort. I don't know if he ever got it measured, but, um, so his, his amp was pretty loud on stage. And the problem with being in a band as you may or may not know is everyone kind of turns up to, so they can hear themselves to whatever the loudest thing is. And 
then maybe that person turns up more and it's just a vicious cycle. So that was a, Hookah was always a pretty loud band. And I think my hearing um, diminished as the years went by. And, and what I find is that when I'm in a noisy situation um, and I'm singing on stage, it's hard to hear what note I'm singing unless that vibrato is there. Um, it's like, it's almost like the note disappears. And I, I just don't even know. Have you ever like heard, gotten into your car and start the car and the radio's on, but turned kind of low and you hear a song and you recognize it, but then you turn it, turn it up and suddenly hear that it's in a totally different key than your brain was registering it in. Is that yes. ever? Yes. Okay. Or, well, or, like it's a, or it's a different song completely. Yeah. Well, that's what I get. Well, more. So with me, that's what it's like sometimes. I think that I'm singing a certain note and then maybe it gets quiet for a second. I suddenly realize I'm a, like a whole step off and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a terrifying, you know, it kills your confidence real quick. And so I, I think I discovered that um, I wasn't, you know, I probably wasn't using much vibrato in the early days, but when I started to, I suddenly realized I could hear the note better. Maybe it's because the definition of vibrato is like, the note is moving around quickly between, you know, pitch and flat and sharp. And so it gives you a wider spread that maybe, I don't know, maybe some part of your brain or your actual eardrum is picking up. So I just found it easier to hear the note and, and it became a crutch. I, and I didn't even realize it was happening um, at the time until like, I think um, we were playing some song Eric was singing and he asked me to sing this background part. And he was like, can you sing it without vibrato? And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And I tried, and it was really hard for me to even do that. I mean, I, I, it's like I almost couldn't make myself stop. Wow. And, um, that was when I realized I kind of had a problem. And, and uh, I feel like on some early recordings, you can hear that I don't sing like that. Mm. And then hearing got worse, suddenly it's it's there all the time and sometimes when i'm in the studio where you can hear really well i feel like it doesn't have as much vibrato uh, as when i'm on a noisy stage and you hear a recording of that so i it's um i didn't yeah so i don't know what to tell you i mean it's i i, I hope i hope it doesn't bother people too much because i don't know what to do about it <laughs> so. well well no i mean like for me that was one of the things that sort of defined your voice and i'm and, you know like no offense i i was I, uh <laughs> I didn't realize that it was such a crutch that's why i, I was so uh, blown away when you said that it was a crutch because i mean like I, it, it makes your like to me that's one of the that's one of the that's one of the things that defines your unique voice is the vibrato. And so I, <laughs> I'm realizing that that's, it was something out of necessity that you just sort of, you, your, your system must've just started doing automatically just to sort of make up for your hearing loss. And yeah, um, like a psychological thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it. You know, there's times when I hear recordings of myself when I'm like, Whoa, that's way too much vibrato. And other times where I'm like, it just kind of, it'll it'll sneak in at the end of a, a phrase and then I'm like oh that sounds nice you know and um and certainly in the studio when i'm scrutinizing everything i sing i can i can listen back and go uh that that one was a little too much or this one's not enough or whatever but uh yeah i don't mind it it's just but it's kind of like a tool that needs to be used um correctly you know you don't want to 
you overdo it, I guess. And I, I probably lean toward overdoing it just by mistake. Um, so yeah, but, um, I, I, I'm glad to hear that you think some people may like it. <laughs> well, uh, well, I know it's more than just me. I mean, like I've had full on discussions with friends like about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, so what did, when did you start because I you your writing style is so unique because you have this sort of like progressively it's progressive and um you have a lot of changes not every song is like that obviously but like the, you you tend to have changes and, and and you know you're going on an adventure uh when you listen to an Ed McGee song and so uh you know like Alexander for example is one of those songs that takes you on an adventure uh but um, I'm just curious, when did you start sort of seeing and hearing music that way in pieces? And you know what I mean? Cause like, Oh, please yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, that, uh, I think that probably started in high school. Um, I, I loved rush. I was a huge fan of rush and, um, and, you could say this about Rush or Yes, a lot of those kind of prog prog rock, I guess they call it. Um, you know, certainly Rush had lots of songs from their, I guess, first 11 albums. I think after the 12th or 13th, they started writing songs that were a little bit more stripped down, uh, not quite so adventurous or whatever. I mean, they were still adventurous in their own way, whatever. But, but you know, the first few albums just had these long, you know, Xanadu, crazy multi-part songs with movements you know that they went through and um and i and i loved that and i thought it was just um fascinating you know i i loved you too and the police and rem and the beatles and stuff but to hear a song that you know is two or three times as long that goes through multiple parts was was really neat and uh just like a different frontier uh to explore um sonically and, and musically and um i so I think by the time I, you know, four or five years, six years later, when I started writing my own songs, there were some songs I was writing that were just little shorter poppier songs um, that might have been influenced by, you know, Sting and U2 or R.E.M. or whoever. But then I also was interested in seeing if I could try to to do some of those more involved ones. And um and I was getting into the Grateful Dead and Fish around then, who, who both, of course, have similar, long segmented pieces. And um, and at the same time, I was getting these weird ideas for lyrics, you know. And uh, um, we keep mentioning Alexander, but there were plenty of other ones too, you know, that had uh, m- stories going on with with different parts to them that, to me, seemed to require different music. Um, that you know it's you have one verse that's this kind of a mode and and atmosphere and then and then a chorus or maybe it's not even as simple as that maybe there are just chunks of stanzas of lines that hard to identify what the chorus or the verse is but this part needs different music than that part certainly and it's got eight lines to it instead of four you know so i think that's it was just out of um part of the creative process of just making it all work and and having fun with uh that kind of experimentation that it all happened like that 
Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, there's endless songs. Well, not endless, but you know what I mean. You got lots of songs to choose from that have uh, that have great epic parts to them and stuff. Um, so when you, what were you studying in, in college? Uh, now that we're here at college, what what were you? What did you go to OSU for? Well, I mean, what did I go for? I went to drink beer and <laughs> and join a band, but. Um, I mean, I honestly didn't want to go to college, but I didn't want to not go because my parents were both college professors, and I, I don't think it would have sat with them very well if I didn't go. Um, I was really sick of school somewhere in the middle of high school. I was just like, I can't wait till I do not have to go to school anymore. Um, but I decided it would be a good idea because I knew that I wanted to try to join a band, and maybe it would be good to have a degree to fall back on if things didn't work out. So. Um, it seemed like a good idea, and I'm so grateful that I went. I always tell people, even if you are not sure, it's. I think it's a good idea for many reasons. I think I could, you know, list a million reasons, but um, you know, just the the social aspect and and being out on your own and um and having to. I always say it's like not even about what you you majored in. It's about like if you manage to set your alarm that many times that you passed all your classes and got a degree, that's a, a discipline that a lot of people that didn't go to college might not have, you know? So that's a good thing. But I, um, to, to get back to the real question, I, I studied, I majored in psych, uh, mainly cause it was offered at, at 2 PM and I hate waking up. Um, and, uh, I minored in English with a focus on poetry because, uh, I just like, poetry i like lyrics and lines of writing and uh and um and so you know that's it wasn't like some big grand plan it was just literally uh, psychology was interesting to me and um i had i had already taken a few poetry classes to s satisfy some basic requirements uh and then my last quarter at osu um was kind of just a like i had finished all the requirements and, you know, even for electives, I had nothing left to do for my major or anything. And my, I was like, can I just be done? I'm, I've satisfied everything. And they're like, well, you need 186 credits to graduate and you only have 170. And so I, I just signed up for like three more poetry classes and whitewater rafting. Um, and uh, and that's how I ended up with, uh, uh, you know, a minor in poetry. Hmm. But I'm really grateful that I that I did do that because one of my professors that final quarter was life changing in my writing. And, uh, in which way? Uh, well, he taught me how to trust myself to do better work than I was doing. I think a lot of people and definitely me, uh, when they're writing and they're maybe not bad at it, or they feel like they have a kind of, uh, flow with it just kind of think that they, everything that comes out of their pen onto the paper is immediately done and perfect. And, and, um, and he taught me how to trust that I could do better and taught me, taught me methods of how to be better, um, and how to notice things and how to write in a style that was, I think, um, well, I'm not saying I, I succeeded in learning this, but he at least tried to teach me how to write in a style that was more captivating and engaging than what I'd already been doing. That's important, man. I, those those uh, those teachers that stick out in your head, man. Those, I it's like 
It's like there's so much wrong with the education system, but there are still people who really care and who really do influence people and, and like really change lives. It's like I like I like that idea of like just going to school just to sort of just to sort of discover who you are. It, it's a nice way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. It's 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 it's. it's oh, go ahead, please. I was just gonna say, uh, Gordon Grigsby was his name. He passed away a few years ago, but he was he was amazing. He was like this kind of gruff, you know, stern, um, bearded dude who lived north of Columbus in the woods somewhere, and was this incredible poet himself. And he didn't take any shit from anybody. Like you know, these students, including me, just thought they were you know God's gift to to writing and. Um, and he would just pick, you know, every week we'd have to write a new poem and read them anonymously in front of the group. And you'd be hearing your classmates analyzing your poem right in front of you. And they didn't know who wrote it, you know, and and it can be kind of a, a you know, disturbing experience. And he would just kind of be like, what's wrong with this poem? You know, <laughs> and somebody would ask, uh, it's really cliche. And he's like, exactly. What, what's with the rainbow rain thing again? Do we really need to use this? You know, and, and he, would, he just had no shame and people, you know, would get mad at him, but I loved it. I was like, this feels like wonderful to just like cut, you know, cut away all the tenderness and you know, it can mean whatever you want it to mean and just get to the, the, uh, the analysis of what what's really working. And here's the, I got to tell you one more thing that Grigsby said. This was mind blowing to me. He used to make us write these worksheets uh, fill out these worksheets when we'd hand in a poem that would um, ask all these crazy details like who's the speaker of the poem? How old are they? What are they wearing? What time of day is it? What day of the week is it? What month is it? What's the weather like? Where is this taking place? What's the address? You know, just ridiculous amount of details that you felt like didn't even need to be, you know, they weren't part of your poem. And you're like, why am I answering all this stuff? And, you know, his argument was that if you go through this process, it creates a, a, vo- a very real world in your mind, whether it's a real place or not that you're writing about. Um, it's it's filling this it's filling up this world in your mind that allows you to make a clearer, more honest, and relatable poem. And I was like, yeah, I sort of get that, but this seems ridiculous. So anyway, I'm meeting him for a conference about my poem this one time, and it's this poem about I had written about an experience I had. Um, where I was hanging out with an artist painter friend of mine at her at her house in Vermont when I was in college. And part of the worksheet says, what's the address? So I wrote down the address, which was, um, um, uh, now I'm forgetting the key part of this freaking story. Uh, something about pines, Hawk Pine, Hawk Pine Hill Road. And um, so I'm sitting there with Gordon Grigsby and he says, He's reading the poem. He's like, not bad, but we got some problems you got to work out. And then he pauses and he's looking at my worksheet and he goes, Hawk Pine Hill Road. And I go, yeah. And he goes, why is that not in the poem? <laughs> and, uh, and I just sat there dumbfounded as like the meaning, as it sort of sunk in, like, this was like a gift, you know, like Hawk Pine Hill Road. It's just a beautiful sounding name and a road. And it's a real place um, right down the street from where I grew up. That you know, when when you're growing up, you just take for granted. It's just the name of a road. You don't think of hawk, pine, hill. You know, it's like three perfectly beautiful descriptive words that that paint a picture. If you tell someone, "I drove up Hawk Pine Hill Road," they suddenly can see a place. 
you know? And um, so that was a real kind of breakthrough moment for me, just realizing that there's there's little details that you need to kind of be aware of to to help people visualize. And I think when someone's hearing a song lyric um, or, or certainly reading a poem, the, the words that paint pictures immediately are the ones that make something real and, and, you know, you can dive into and be a part of it. So that was a, you know, a huge Grigsby moment for me. That, that, that literally is like, <laughs> that's literally explaining your whole fucking, uh, uh your whole work of your whole body of work is like in those, in that moment where he teaches you to like pick those details because it is those details, those nuances that, that I appreciate, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, that, that's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just want to say that's the, uh, not my whole body. It's the post Grigsby yes, body of work. Thank I you. My post, post, post Grigsby and pre Grigsby have very big differences in them. So. Right. Thank you for thank you for clarifying that. So so yeah. then uh, what did you, when did you uh, okay so then when did hookah come into play then? I was um, really big fan of the Dead and I was going to see Local Color every Monday uh, at the Southburg years before I joined the band and uh, Dave Katz was you know an original member of that band. Then uh, my neighbor when I was like a sophomore in college, I think he was roommates with Steve and Cliff. And um, he invited me to come see Supplication, another dead cover band uh, that Steve and Cliff were playing in. And I was like, oh, my God, these guys are amazing. And, of course, was instantly blown away by Steve and and Cliff playing up there together. Um, So I started watching them all the time. And then they um, invited me to play uh, in between sets at one of their shows at Ruby Tuesdays or something. And... Um, I had, you know, only written a few songs, but I knew a couple dead songs that they didn't play. And so I'd get up there and play about five songs and then they'd come back for their second set. Um, so, you know, they, I got to know Steve and Cliff during those years. And then, uh, and then eventually, uh, I guess Dave left local color and met Mullins and started up hookah and got Steve and Cliff. And so I already knew you know, half the band at that point. So I just met Mullins eventually and, and, uh, Steve Fry and, um, Sophrenic and, uh, and then because of, I guess, Cliff and Steve being in the band, I somehow, you know, I knew them and, um, I got to know Dan Mesnard who was doing sound. Uh, he was actually playing in between sets of hookah in the beginning. And I was like really hoping to get to do that again. Cause I was, it was my first, sort of like uh, experiences with playing in front of crowds and I was loving it. I was eating it up. So I just got to be friends. It was very opportunistic. I mean, I got to be friends with, with Dan Mesnard and, and eventually he uh, invited me to play along with him. And, uh, and then eventually I think he just didn't feel like doing it anymore. So he just let me do it. Um, and then eventually, uh, you know, when they needed a new guy, they, you know, by then they were familiar with me and my songs because I've been playing them at their shows. Um, so that's kind of how that all happened. Okay. And then so when when you came into the band, were you um, – did you come in with the understand – like, like no – 
I'm trying to phrase this so it doesn't sound like an asshole, but like, were you uh, <laughs> were you hired in the band as a songwriter, or were you just someone that they just wanted to sort of sing the songs, and then you just became that? You sort of stepped into a role of songwriter. How how did how did you start introducing songs, or did they want you to introduce songs? How did that work? Yeah, it's a good question. They they um they wanted a songwriter, um, a singer songwriter, a rhythm guitarist, and um they knew that I wrote songs and had a bunch. I mean, I had, at the time I'd been playing a bunch of them with local color. Like I'd already been playing, uh, Alexander one and crinkle vine and T rose and surround and float. Um, there might have been more. I can't, that, but those are five I can think of right off the top of my head that I was already playing with uh, local color and the fans seemed to like in that band. Um, so they, you know, I think I was just kind of the easiest, the the low-hanging fruit for them at the time um they knew me i was right there i was already writing songs and they didn't want to play any of mullen's songs anymore i I was kind of bummed in a way because i was a huge fan of mullen's and a lot of his songs so when i got asked to audition i was even saying could i can we play this song or that song by mullen's they were like no we're not doing any of the songs (laughs) i was like was there because i you know i knew how to play some of them but they're like no we're not doing them was there a reason did they give you a reason or is that important i don't know (laughs) i'm just curious it's nothing more exciting than you'd expect i mean it and i don't even remember clearly i'm sure that i'm sure it was nothing more than just you know they went through some tough times with john and he was, you know, he wasn't going through a good period himself, you know, and uh, from what I heard, you know, it had gotten beyond simple creative differences. I don't even think there were creatives. It was more just like personality like getting violent with them, I heard, you know, and, uh, and, and he was, you know, he was kind of a mess, I guess, at that point. And, uh, and so, um, you know, so I think they, uh, they just needed they needed to move on and to move on required not singing his songs. Cause they, that would be attaching themselves to them or something. I, I, I guess I don't know anything more than just that. Um, yeah, that's fair. You have to ask Dave or something. It was not my decision. Yeah. I was like, I was like, can we at least play a freedom flying? And, uh, you know, cause there was a couple of songs in particular. I loved kind of playing on my guitar and, and I thought I could sing, a, do a decent job with, but um, it's probably for the best that, we didn't um but yeah so so when i got hired on they they asked me to um they asked me to give them a list of songs that the, that i thought they should learn to to start playing and um so i made a list of about i don't know 15 of my songs or something and i think i made a, a recording of whatever crappy you know, bootleggy kind of recordings I had of myself playing them, or maybe some of them were with local color. I don't, I don't know. And then from that list, they picked six that they wanted to learn right out of the gates. And, um, and I remember it kind of sucked. They, I mean, it was fun because they came over to my apartment and we song on a couple different days and I had to like teach them the six songs, which kind of pissed me off like 35 of their songs in two days and on my own and nobody anything. And uh, so I was kind of, I was kind of giving them shit about that, but it was still <laughs> kind of fun to hang out and learn my songs with, you know, it was obviously 
kind of mind blowing to be playing songs that I'd been playing around with where I was the guitarist of it. And then suddenly Sweeney's showing me how to do it. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, that was very exciting for me. I'm, I'm half kidding when I told what I just said, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so they, they learned six of my songs. I can't even remember them because we had playing the same six songs every night for, for, I don't know if it's six months, it might've been like five months, four months, but I think it was quite a while before we got together and learned anything new and of mine. And then even after that, like we learned like, you know, two or three more maybe. And then I had nine songs from which to kind of choose six every night. And so it would still be some of the same songs. And I, I got tired of those six songs awful quick. What would now did now did that cause any point of contention for you in the band or was was this something that you sort of like was like well I'm new I'm just sort of taking my licks and I'll get them I'll get them in when I can or did you have to rally and be like hey what's up no it was fine you know it's just the way it was it was just the logistics we were we were playing so often that there was no time downtime to um, or it felt like there was no downtime to to learn new stuff and um, yeah I. I was, you know, I was pretty exhausted myself and I, it was hard for me to, uh, to blame them, you know, but any mm-hmm. chance we did get, I was like, come on, let's learn another song. And, um, there was also an issue of, uh, I, I wasn't aware yet that of the fact that Sweeney kind of hates every song, uh, until he likes it. And, and so I just thought, you know, cause I, I over the years as a fan, I'd heard him complaining about certain songs of Dave's or John's that he didn't like. So when I joined, I was trying to be all, um, you know, uh, no pressure, Steve, you know, if you don't like one of my songs, we don't have to play it. I've got plenty of songs. We'll just, you know, keep going through the the list till we find one that you're, you're happy with. And then, then I finally realized he doesn't like anything uh, and until he plays it for a while. And then suddenly he's like, let's play that song. I like that song, you know? And uh, so is, God is, love him. Sweeney, uh, Sweeney strikes me as like a metal guy. Was he a metal guy, or is he a metal guy? Mm, I don't think so. I, you know, I think he, you know, he liked Yes a lot. That's oh, probably okay. as as metal as he get. He liked Yes, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he was into any kind of metal. Um, well, well, I guess I guess well. By the way, fragile, fragile is like one of my favorite albums ever. But um, oh, it's incredible! <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but Classic. um, but yeah, the uh, sorry, sorry, I got sidetracked because uh, you know it's Sweeney. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, so so you guys were playing the songs, and, and and now how did the how did the audience? Because at this time Mullins was in the band, and you and you took over uh, the. Kuka had a name already when you stepped into the band. So I, I was curious, how did the crowd receive it? I mean, I know what happened eventually, but like when the change came over, what was the reception like for you? What did you glean off of it? Um, it you know, it was, uh, for the most part, it was, it was very positive. Um, when I, when I try to like look at the whole picture, I think the you know ninety percent of it was positivity and people just accepting that whatever happened happened. But there was a, there was a good chunk of people that were really not happy I was there. Um, you know, I, I always refer to it as as the kind of Sammy Hagar. Uh, I was the Sammy Hagar of the band, and um, and I and you know by the way I have mad respect for Sammy Hagar for having gone through 
kind of what I went through, but on a huge scale, right, <laughs> you know, right. like I have no business complaining when you think about what he went through. He's just a, a nice guy that uh, got asked to, to play a position and, um, and that, you know, then, so anyway, you know, it's that same kind of thing for me. Like I, I didn't fire John. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't make him screw up that whole situation. I was just the one they, they hired. And, and yet it's easy to kind of just like use me as a scapegoat or, um, throw the blame on me. And there were times when people would even yell shit from the crowd and Dave would have to say something, you know, from his seat at the keyboards, like, you know, if you have a problem with what happened, talk to me or anybody else in the band, you know, Ed wasn't the one that did it, which was nice of him to do, but I kind of felt bad that he even had to, you yeah. know, it was like, it was sad to watch a band that I love just going through this, this whole thing, even, you know, like I, I felt really weird just taking that role. I was a huge Mullins fan. We were friends. We lived together oh. for a while. Um, and you know, it was weird to me as a fan to like, I don't want you to not be in this band. You know, I certainly don't want to be in your position. Um, obviously I have my own aspirations as a musician. Um, so this is a opportunity I can't pass up, but, but this is awkward, you know, <laughs> this is weird. Um, you know, so people that I think saw the big picture and understood that shit happens were, were gracious enough to give me a chance and, and liked some of my songs and, and then things, you know, over time, you know, it, uh, it became more natural and you know after a few years it felt completely fine um but yeah i mean there were some tough parts of that i'd never i'd never had that before i mean i was when i was in local color we were all happy and everyone's happy that the fans that came to us were friendly and loved us and loved my songs and i'd you know be at fish shows or dead shows and people would recognize me as the guy that plays in in local color and uh, and I, it was always a positive experience. And then suddenly I'm this Sammy Hagar type guy where people come up to me and I don't know if they want to shake my hand or tell me to fuck off or what, you know, because I just don't know, you know, like they would just be mad at me just because I was that guy. And uh, that was kind of sucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's like it's like if you uh, married into somebody who had stepkids, you know, you're trying to win over the stepkids, and right on uh, some weird level. But that's kind of a bad analogy. Never mind. Let's just move on. No, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the one thing. Can I say one more? Oh, thing of course. That? Please say whatever you want. The the thing that I that one of the biggest things that bothered me about it was I feel like by becoming a Sammy Hagar type uh position character in a band i lost my ability to to hear feedback in a sort of um untainted way like when, when i was in local color or just you know anything else any other bands i was in or just any time i played at an open mic or whatever and somebody liked a song or didn't like a song that was just a truthful honest kind of that was their reaction but once I was this, the guy that replaced Mullins, some of these reactions aren't truthful anymore. They're not, they're not like, they don't have to do with me or my music or my songs. They have to do with me not being John Mullins. It has to do with people being angry that I'm in some role that they wish somebody else was in. So it's like, it's hard to know if they think that song sucks or I suck, you know, and therefore I can internalize that and figure out what. I might be doing right or wrong as a musician. Um, 
you know, or even if I'm doing something right, are they just being nice to me because I'm the new guy? You know, it's, it's nothing made sense in a real way anymore. Like I, I, the feedback just went away. I couldn't like judge. I couldn't figure out if it was a real, re- you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm saying it right, but you know what I'm saying? I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, of course. Cause I mean, you're, you're in this weird position where like, how can you, it's like, you almost can't even like trust like, you know, what you're hearing because you don't know where people are coming from at this point, especially, I mean, especially you're in a band with a, a, a following and, and there's people, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I get that, that, that it was hard to gauge where you were at. Uh, I've yeah. never been in that position, uh, you know, that a position like that, but I, I could, I could definitely hear what you're saying. And that, that, that seems like a difficult place to be in. But yeah, when I was in local color, nobody compared my songs to anybody, you know, like mm. they were just like, Alexander's a cool song, you know, like where the hell did you get that idea? Or like surround, what is surround about, you know, like, yeah. and, uh, or, you know, they might say, Oh, this song sounds a little fishy right here. Or that song reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, um, the wharf rat or something, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm totally, uh, you know, influenced by the dead and I love wharf rats. So maybe I accidentally still, you know, stuff like that, which just makes sense. And I could, I could totally understand and learn from, but if you're just constantly compared to, to John Mullins, then it's not really helpful. Right. You know, it doesn't like do me any good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm not John Mullins. I, you're right. My <laughs> voice doesn't sound like his. You're right. I don't, you know, I don't write songs like that, you know, mm-hmm. and that, how does that help me? I'm right. just Ed over here doing what I've always done. And instead of saying that song is too quirky or, or that song's awesome in this part, it's just like, you suck because you're not Mullins or, Oh, the new guys. Yeah. It's a nice song, Eddie. You know, like, uh, like it's not real anymore. You know, like I missed, mm-hmm. I missed the feedback that I used to get. Yeah. So then, um, so you said a couple years into it, it, it and well, obviously a couple years into it, 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 you and your songs and the band sort of took on a different, you know, I, I don't know, like, I guess I'm seeing it from an outsider and from my point of view, when I, and, and I came to you guys, I came, well, I came to Hookah when you were in the band, um, maybe like 2000. So like you had already been in the band, what, a couple years by then? uh yeah well, almost four i guess four years know. okay so you joined in 96 and yeah. then and then so what so when i saw you it was already you know the ed show which no offense in any way i just said you're the guy <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like you're the, by the way random question uh, out of nowhere um did you ever <laughs> use reverse delay on your on your on your uh, in your effects chain on your vocals reverse delay on my vocals yes um i would have no idea that that was even happening that would be the sound man probably if you, oh. in, in a live show yes it was a live show <laughs> yeah i mean around that time i think we had bill um uh, horsky doing sound who was fond of using a lot of effects uh-huh. um so it is a so- possibility that at one point you might have had reverse delay on you. and it wasn't the one the first time I saw you guys that wasn't the time I'm talking about it was it was definitely a hookah I think it was the hookahville Bela Fleck was playing but yeah. I, I was just for years I've been trying to figure out I was like did I really hear that or was I just really high on drugs and <laughs> so now you know now it actually it actually uh it actually gives me some kind of comfort to know that it is a possibility that I wasn't just fucked up that you know that 
I did hear what I hear. Maybe. It's still a mystery. Yeah. Okay. It's, that was a random it's question. It's like, okay, well, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clearing yeah. up that uh, 20 year mystery <laughs> uh, yeah. or 15 year, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, so you guys, so when did you notice that? Okay. So, what I was getting at was that I, I saw. You know, um, the way I saw it and the way that my friends tell me who've been in, in the hookah since the beginning is sort of you you joined the band and then the band sort of took another step. Like they grew and, and uh, you know, a lot of people were attributed to your songs. And I'm not trying to say that you alone has brought hookah to the, where they were. But uh, uh, is that a statement that you could agree with that after you joined that things got a little bit bigger and were a lot bit bigger? Well, you know, I would love to say that my songs and my sort of persona and my energy uh, helped the band go to another step. And I'm saying it right now. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to be fair, the, the band was when I joined that band, it was already a snowball rolling down the hill, picking mm -hmm. up steam. You know, they, they had a lot going for them. Um, and I, you know, to the point where I used to say that, you know, it felt like just being a, a water skier behind a really powerful boat trying to join that band or or play a song with Steve Sweeney on stage. Um, you know, just hanging on for dear life. They they were they were motoring right along, and I I certainly think they did me more favors than I did them when we when we joined. But you know, I I would like to say think that I helped in my own way. But you know, uh, I think they they probably would have done well with. Uh, you know, any decent singer songwriter, I would think. Hmm. Hmm. That's very, that's a humble way of saying it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's nice. That's like, I mean, also like, powerful band, you know? Oh, I mean, of course. Of course. Are... And like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not, you can't take away from anything that they had when they started. And then, you know, obviously when you were in the band and then even now, like you can't take away anything that they've, they've accomplished. Uh, but uh, you could definitely add to, I think, and um, well, and, and I'm just saying it in, in a perspective that comes from my st stupid small group of friends who are all into <laughs> it. <laughs> Fucking, we're just like, yeah, Ed, man, it was all about Ed. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, you know, that that was the fan side. Of, I need um, to hang out with you guys. I need to. <laughs> uh, they, you know what? You might, you might remember some of them. They called themselves the. This was a small faction of. I was actually not even part. They called themselves the. Well, never mind. I can't remember. Fuck. I was gonna say the Schwa family, but that's not it at all. That's that's Ooh. your that's uh that's Huka's <laughs> side. The the, the but no, they, what do they call themselves? God damn it. Never mind. It doesn't matter. There was like a group <laughs> of them, and they always were following Hookah around. It was just a group of stinky hippies from fucking Toledo. So you know, whatever. The Scribblers. <laughs> oh wait a second. No, it was. It started with an S though. It was like uh, mm. it was almost like um, it was like a descriptive word to describe mm. someone who's always fucked up and mm. it's so and it started with an s and i can't mm. remember the fucking shit anyways i think lisa <laughs> phillips if you i don't know if you know or remember her yeah lisa yeah, phillips maybe. was a part of that thing and okay, so cool. that was sort yeah. of the clan sort of so i guess I have hung out with those people yes yes <laughs> yeah yeah so that was sort of the clan that i was a part of for you know cool. like that sort of went and we all just ganged up and you Good know clan yeah, it was fun. It, yeah, fucking good times, man. It was a great time. Uh, it, really important part of my life, uh, those, especially those early 2000s, those shows. And I remember we went to the Agora, and uh, 
uh, it was a it was a New Year's show at the Agora. Fucking who knows what year it was, but it was a crazy snowstorm, and we, f- my friend was so fucked up that he was ripping the fucking seats out of the floor. It, like it was just it was out of control. That's what I was trying to say. Like the whole <laughs> thing was out of control. And I remember the first time I ever went to because hookah was the first time I ever went and saw. Uh, a, a show like that you know what i mean like uh, until that like my first show was tex beneke which is the saxophone player for the glenn miller orchestra so that was my first Ooh. concert and then wow. so like you know i went to i went to concerts and stuff but i've never been to something like that where it's like i mean it was almost like ceremonial you know what i mean like you you go and my friend was like here eat this and then let's go let's check this out and i was just <laughs> and i remember hearing the band being like this is fucking garbage <laughs> like no offense <laughs> i'm sorry like i i, I have I, I sometimes too honest and and, and uh, bury myself <laughs> in 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 a shallow grave but uh <laughs> yeah, you might have been right but no well what I heard, and, and like coming from a guy who was just like, oh, so I can only listen to fucking uh, who uh, like Weather Report or Miles Davis. Uh, that's all I can listen to because you know when you're a young kid, you think you you know like what the coolest music ever is, and that's right. what was the coolest music. Fusion, bro. That was <laughs> fusion. <laughs> so when someone was like, hey, check this out. Like what the fuck is this? What 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 the fuck? Okay, so that was so there was a before. Uh, I think what was it? It was something in Southern Ohio. It was some fall festival um, in Hocking Hills. And it was just incredible. It was like one of those moments where like the, I think the fog was rolling in and, and like fucking, there was just these, it was just an incredible moment and and it all made sense. And I'm sure you've heard this a lot. So, (laughs) or at least a version of this a lot. So, but it was that moment where I'm just like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Okay. Now, now it's, you know, you sort of leave that, those preconceived notions behind and you move forward. With the band, so while you're in the band, you guys are are growing the scene. Like, what are um, what are the, what are like the 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 bigger lessons you learned from your time with Hugo? What are the bigger things that you took away from it? And I know that's kind of a hard question, but like, what what are what what are some of the the bigger things that you can glean from being in a band like Hugo? Wow, yeah, uh, I know it's a big question, and I'm shaking my head at myself right now. No, that's fine. But it's out there, and, and it's happening. <laughs> um, lessons I've learned from being in the band. Um, you know, there's there's probably like a ton of little musical things I learned, but I, it seems more philosophical the way you ask that. You know, I, I learned a lot, uh, you know, about just sort of maintenance on your your – as a singer, you know, like, I mean, this is just boring though. This is not a good answer, but you know, just like no, this is a great answer. four nights in a row and you uh, have to kind of maintain your voice over those four nights. Um, there's, uh, you know, just things about that, I guess I learned and, and just, just how hard it is to be on the road with a band, how much, how, how tiring it is, um, how much of a mental yeah, I, I definitely. It was what I always wanted to do was 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 join a traveling band. I, I remember, you know, from a high school age, just saying, I don't even care if it's like some fit, big famous band. I just want to have the experience of being on the road, that you know, with a band where you travel around to different cities, and that just sounds just amazing to me. And so, 
uh, you know, and it, and it is, and it was, it was an incredible time, but it is really hard work too, you know? So I think that was the, maybe one of the biggest lessons, just learning the, what it does to you, what it, how it affects you physically and uh, mentally. Um, cause it was like, you know, I, I just, maybe this is boring or a silly example, but I just remember at some point in time, I decided, um, I, I was just losing my mind from boredom on the, on the road. And I would, every week when we hit the road, I'd bring 10 to 20 CDs from my CD collection to listen to on, this is back in the days before cell phones and iPhones and all that. I would just have like a CD player with headphones and, um, I'd bring like 15 CDs from my collection, which was pretty huge that I just thought I might want to check out on the road and help the hours go by. And I wouldn't even put any of them in. I just, I just didn't even want to listen. It was like, I'm just bored. I don't feel like listening to this. And I started reading books. I like, I picked up a book and like, maybe this will help me escape uh, where, you know, this mental sort of prison you're in when you're in the van for five, 10 hours a day. Um, and, uh, and I, and it helped. And so then I just started reading books and I went through so many books. I'd, I'd read anything anybody gave me or anything I found. It didn't matter if it was fiction or nonfiction and that helped, but it was, uh, it was kind of just like this amazing realization of how hard on your brain it is to just be in a car for that many hours every day, you know, and then you get to the stage and just want to explode you know, which is kind of what we did, you know, so, Absolutely. um, no, yeah, I, I don't know. I agree. Well, no, no. Like I loved, I loved that. That was a great answer because that is a thing. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm still a touring musician and you still travel a lot for music. And so there's still that thing that, that those moments is like, what, what are you applying yourself to? Like, what are you doing with those moments like and for me, I I actually have learned to love those boring moments because it's just um uh it, it gives me time to sort of I don't know. They say you get a lot of good thinking done when you're bored. So for me, it's turned into this way of sort of just working out things and working out ideas. Or I'm just in my laptop working on whatever. But uh, I've learned to sort. And, and, and here's the thing: it, before cell phones, what you're talking, so you don't have Netflix on the road with you like I do. Now I have right. Netflix in the van with me, so wherever I go. Then it was like you have your CD player and <laughs> the other guys yeah. to talk to who you've talked to already or don't right. want to talk to anymore because they're too fucking close to you and you don't want yeah. to talk to these assholes right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's a very real thing about as well about traveling with musicians is, is, is like, you know, they're your best friends, they're your brothers and like your brothers, you're going to fight. And that's another hard part about being on the road is like, I got in a fight with fucking Eddie in Tucson. There's an Ed in the lead singer of my band is called Ed, is Eddie too, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eddie, you know, in Tucson, we got in a fight. By the time we got to fucking Phoenix, you know, it's turned into an all out yelling match. <laughs> so, and then, right. and then after the gig, it's like, oh, we're buddies again. It's all good. But, but you're right. That, that, uh, that, um learning how to deal with travel and 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 because when people do look at musicians they don't see hard work you know being a musician isn't synonymous with hard worker you know what i mean <laughs> right. not like a bricklayer or anything so it, it's a uh 
when I tell people like what I have to do and what I what I'm doing all the time, it, it's like they don't see it but then when they see me at a gig or something and i'm lifting these big fucking monitors and i'm setting shit up and i'm doing all this, they kind of get it but there is like being on the road fucking depletes you it's insane mm. like what how did you come down after those long runs um because i know for me it takes about three to four days for my brain to sort of lock back into you know like civilian life how did you sort of manage that after those long runs? Well, I mean, first of all, we 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 would sometimes have long runs that would be two or three weeks or even four weeks uh, out west. Um, but most of the time we were just gone for like Wednesday through Sunday. Oh. So I would have basically Sunday, Monday and Tuesday to recover. And but then we would just be right back out on the road. So it wouldn't be like it w- wouldn't be like fully recovering. You just kind of tread water until you have to go do it again you know <laughs> he's just um, like there was no recovery that's <laughs> no not really i mean and okay. I, you know i think what uh, helped me a lot was um was playing hockey i you know at one point in time i was playing hockey somehow uh two or three times a week so i think sunday nights i was on a team and then tuesdays and then wednesdays if i was in town um i would be playing hockey so just keeping in shape, um, you know, exercising, um, and, uh, and just having that completely, uh, opposite world, uh, to dwell in the hockey world. Cause it's quite a wonderful community of friends. Um, hockey adult hockey is, so it'd be nice to like, just completely depart. It's like going to a different country, like leaving the hookah world and then, there I am with my hockey buddies who don't care that I'm in a band and don't, you know, you want to hear about it. They yeah. just talk, talk about hockey and play hockey and drink beer after hockey. And, uh, you know, so that, that was really helpful to me that to have that. Yeah, totally, man. I, I, I can relate to that a lot where, whereas like you, I'll tend to hang out with my friends who aren't like music. Like I tend to hang out with a lot of musicians, obviously, but, when like i'm in real downtown if i am leaving my house at all i i'm, I'm gonna go hang out with a guy who has nothing to do with music doesn't want to even talk about it who, who doesn't even acknowledge music you know what i mean like that's right. fine i it like i feel that i feel that in a big way man because sometimes you just gotta step out of that role and just completely go somewhere else with it or else you get lost mm-hmm. in that shit man it's fucking mucky yep. so um you know uh so i mean you obviously had a great run and you had you know you shared the stage with so many amazing artists uh where, where, i can't remember were you did you you've 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 played with bob weir before right you've actually been on stage with him i can't remember yeah okay so you've got to play with like your hero what was that like what's bob weir like <laughs> yeah that that's the the first time was it was just almost too much like i just couldn't compute you know it just it was just so weird um uh, no pun intended it was just so <laughs> it was too bizarre to really register i mean i was such a huge fan of the grateful dead and um i was starstruck just meeting him uh and and you know and then the, you add to that the whole thing that i wouldn't even really be a singer if not for him um, just made it all like, um, it's just too much to compute. Uh, I remember, you know, I, I don't know if you heard the whole story about how he borrowed my shorts. 
Oh, or not, no, I didn't. No. Yeah. I did not hear the story about Bob Weir borrowing Ed Shorts, though. Yeah. This just makes it even more bizarre and less possible to compute in my brain. <laughs> but before the show, um, it was at Hookahville, you know, in 99. Uh, it was 95 degrees or something. And I was, you know, I had cruised backstage to try to see, to meet him a couple times and he was busy or not there. And then I went back a third time and he was by himself in this air conditioned trailer drinking a Heineken. So I just walked in and introduced myself and, uh, thanked him for coming. And, you know, I was like, I said something like, you know, I never liked singing and I hated my voice until I got into the dead and your songs in particular helped me learn to enjoy singing and find my own voice and eventually end up in a band that's big enough to invite you to play at our festival. So uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. And he just looked at me and he was like, well, thank you very much. You know, and it, was, <laughs> it was just uh, kind of a cool thing to, to get to thank him for that. Oh, yeah. And then he's looking out the window and he's like, it's getting awful hot out there. I need to see if I can scrounge me up some shorts. And because uh, he's like wearing jeans or whatever. And I'm like, well, I have some extra shorts in my tent. And I'd just gotten there. It was the beginning of a four day camping thing or whatever you know so i had all these clean clothes and i was like i got an extra pair and he goes you wouldn't mind and i go no and uh and then he's like looking at my waist and i was just so starstruck and freaked out that i was even talking to him that i i didn't get for a couple moments what he was doing and i was like oh i'm about a 33 and he and he's looked at looked at me and he's like perfect so <laughs> so i took off in my golf cart and went and got a pair of shorts for him and, uh, you know, he was wearing them during the rat dog set and then he wore them again while he sat in with us. And I, there was this white, like bleach dot on one of the thighs of these shorts that, that I, you know, were just some mistake I'd made doing laundry or whatever. And I remember just like looking over and seeing that dot and just going, what is Bob Weir doing there in my show? This makes no sense at all, you know? <laughs> None of this makes any sense. And I just, you know, I, I think I drank a few more beers than I normally would just to try to calm my, my spinning brain down. And I was backstage after the show talking to my parents and uh, just, you know, kind of on cloud nine from a great show and a great experience. And I hear this voice say, hey, Ed. And it's Bob Weir saying, hey, Ed. And I'm like... I can't believe Bob Weir is beckoning me right now. You know? <laughs> and I look over and I'm like, what's up, Bob? You know, Like, like this is just a normal evening for me, you know? And, uh, and he's like, he's, you know, it's nighttime. It's cooled down. So he's changed back to his jeans and he's walking over with my shorts. And I'm like, he's like, thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. I'm like, Hey, no problem. Anytime, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I'm just like, what, what weird world is this where Bob is returning clothes that i loaned him you know <laughs> your bleach and, stained uh, shorts yeah so, you, you uh, couldn't find a, a non-bleach stained pair of shorts for bobby ed well you know it's, it was <laughs> just one little dot dude and you know i figured <laughs> that was the pair that i thought would match his shirt so yeah i got you i got you it yeah. makes sense no, it makes sense. So, uh, that that's amazing by the way that that's an amazing thing yeah uh, uh i i had johnny starcat on the show a couple weeks ago and he was telling me how uh, 
uh, one of the, I think his last chance to dance, he was like, uh, Johnny's here, so let's play uh, Johnny Be Good. Or what is it, Johnny Be Good? I think they did. I think that was it. And so I love those stories. That's just casual encounters. And it's just, you know, like, like and for Bob, it's probably like, he's probably heard that like a thousand trillion times, right? And then, right. but, and, but, but like th- for him to be, you know, still gracious to return, to, like, just to say thank you and to, you know, like that. I love that. I love it when, like, those, like, when the people who, like, those legends are still, like, people, you know what I mean? And they're not mm-hmm. these fucking horrible, you know. I just... got to tell you this. I got to tell you this one thing then, because I love I had this, this amazing, uh, experience with him later on down, down the line. Um, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was a year or two later. Uh, Rat Dog was coming through um the midwest and their management asked hookah to open up for them at a string of shows um because they remembered us from the two hookahvilles they played at and thought it would maybe help their numbers who knows anyway they asked us to uh and of course we said yes they didn't they weren't paying much but it was like we got to do you know got to do this and um and so we had played like a couple nights in a row or something opening for them and i you know i just kind of would see him backstage and the other guys in the band, they were all friendly. Um, and I, you know, I would say hi, but I wouldn't like try to bother him or anything, you know, cause I felt like I already had my yaya's out and I'd met him and stuff, but, um, I didn't want to bother him. But one night, I think it was like the third or fourth night that we had played with them, uh, opened up for them. We were in, uh, I think it was Madison, Wisconsin and some old theater we were playing in. And I was backstage um and the our show was done and rat dog had played and they were done and i was just drinking beers backstage i had quite a bit at at that point um because i was just having a good time and and i see bob walking by with uh like his coat and a canvas bag full of some stuff and i'm like taking off for the night and he goes uh you know, like I'm just acting casual. Like I just chat with Bob Weir. Like it's no big, (laughs) (laughs) you're taking off tonight, Bob. And he he goes, he's like, well, I was just going to head out to the bus. Uh, got uh, some, a nice single malt scotch out there. Do you like scotch? And I'm like, sure. You know, like, (laughs) I don't even know what he's talking at the time. I'd never probably had scotch. I just drank Heineken and I, you know, but I was like, sure. I'll, you know, I'm not going to say no to that casual invitation. So I ended up like, (laughs) <laughs> walking out there behind him like i didn't even go back to get my coat or anything i just was like i don't want to miss this chance so i go out on the tour bus with bob and um it's just me and bob there's nobody else on the bus and it's quiet and it's the first time i've like gotten this kind of chance. i mean i guess when i first met him in that air-conditioned trailer it was like that but i was too geeked out to even really speak then he didn't know who i was now it was like he's inviting me onto his bus and it's quiet it's just us two and he gets this scotch out i wish i could remember what it was because now i drink scotch and i would love to know what i was drinking with him but he poured some scotch for us and we sit down at the little table that's in a tour bus you know and facing each other and i'm just kind of like starstruck and i don't know what to say and i'm drunk and i don't know i don't want to be a jerk or stupid and i'm desperately trying to think of of what to talk about. So he doesn't think I'm a tool. And, uh, and it's really hard. I have no problem talking with people, but this was really freaking me out. And so I think, you know, for a little bit, we talked about sting because I remember sting opening up for the dead 
on one tour and I'm a big fan of Sting. And I kind of mentioned how, you know, I love the fact that Sting uses odd time signatures, but makes the songs feel normal, kind of like you do with estimated and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and so that kind of helped. And, you know, we, that, that sort of got us off, off the ground, but I still felt like, like he was just being kind of polite and I wanted to connect somehow. And then it hit me and I said this thing to him, I, you know, he, I mentioned something, we were talking about songwriting because of that. And I said, yeah, you know, it's sometimes kind of weird for me to be in this band hookah where I work so hard on my guitar skills and I write these songs that are sometimes barely in my ability to even play. Um, And then you get out there and play them and people just give all the credit to the lead guitarist because he's such an unbelievable guitar player. And Bob looked at me and he goes, I know just how you feel. <laughs> and I, and I, and I swear after that, he was like looking at me like his little brother, like, just like he was worried about me and just like, and then it was fair game. Like we could talk about anything like the, the total mood changed. And he was like, I'd just be like, so did you get to hang out with Hendrix? Was the pyramids, were they too hot to even enjoy the show? You know, I was just saying anything at that point. And uh, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's that's incredible, man. That is such a beautiful story of just like you're like desperately trying to connect with your with your fucking your 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 idol and 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 when you hit the marker, man, you hit and you hit it and you got it and man, that that's beautiful, man. That's a really beautiful experience. <clears throat> Do you, yeah, uh, it felt a little opportunistic, but at the same time, I thought it was a a worthy uh, point to point out that. Uh, I had my Sweeney issues and he had his Garcia issues to deal with. So <laughs> and, and both, both is like reasonable. Th- those are reasonable things that are sort of to, I mean, to gripe about is like, fuck dude. It's like, I, I, obviously he's amazing. I get it. They're great, but come on. <laughs> what, what yeah, about it's that? not really even a gripe. You can't even gripe. About no, it. you can't can be grateful, you know, yeah, to have absolutely that going on. But at the same time, it's just like, you do get, you get drowned a little bit, you know, or, or eclipsed, I guess is a better word. I, my, my good friend, Harold would always call me the other guitarist in acoustic hookah, which, which uh, cracked me up. The so, other guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's coming from a friend and not from the, yeah. the audience. Hey, other guitarists play this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I know we're going on and on here, uh, but, uh, so hookah was this amazing experience and I, I i'm just curious what was the decision to step away yeah i don't want to really dwell on that especially sure. because we've been going on for a while but um you know in a, to to be brief about it i um i i i just needed to move on i i'd, I'd grown unhappy um i wasn't feeling uh good about things in general i think i think you could even use that old cliche creative differences because i know there were some some issues where uh some guys in the band didn't like some of my latest songs and i know that i didn't like some of the ones you know that dave was coming out with um but you know like that was just part of being a band with two songwriters i just you, you know you get used to it and you find things you like about them over time or whatever um but you know i guess it had come to a head it had gotten like a burr in the saddle it had just gotten worse and worse um uh to a point where yeah i it, and you know there was also a question of the financial aspect of it we had we had gone fallen on some hard times i don't know if anyone realizes it but i 
hadn't gotten a steady paycheck in like a, a year and a half or two. And, uh, and we used to make a decent amount of money after Hookahville's, but then that all stopped too because of debts we owed. And, um, you get to the point where I'm on stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people knowing that I'm not feeling good about things and that I'm not even going to get paid. And I, and I just was like, what am I doing here? You know? And, uh, and so just had to, uh, consider moving on. And then there was a couple sort of last straw experiences that are not even that important to share that just, you know, was like, well, I, I think it's time to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, man. I, I, it's just, sometimes that's just how it goes, man. You just like this, well, this is the end of this. Yeah. Um, no, another thing before, uh, um, you know, in the murky waters here, uh, one thing that I did notice, I remember the announcement of you leaving, and and we can get out of the subject as soon as as soon as I ask you this question, and you can deny answering it totally. That's fine, but um, <clears throat> what what I know is me and my my friends, and at this time when you left the band, I was already out in California living, so like we were sort of following the band from afar now, and uh, I what we noticed was as soon as you left the band was that uh, the songs, we, we could no longer get your songs on iTunes digitally. And if you didn't have the CDs, then, well, too bad for you. And, and it's kind of still in that realm. Like, I found a couple songs on YouTube. Um, can you speak on that, or do you want to speak sure. on it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy for me to answer because the answer is I have no idea why that happened. Oh. That was uh, <laughs> certainly not my doing. Well, I mean, and, and I, I, I do want to say also that, and not to interrupt you, which I just did, uh, is that th- at least in my circles, we were just like, how could Ed do this to us? <laughs> so there, there's there's no reason why I would do that. Okay. Why would I? Why would I do that? Well, uh, I, I did. I absolutely did not do that. I, I've heard people say stuff like. Uh, people that I, I knew pretty well. Mm. Are you still there? Yes, I am, sir. Yeah. My phone just went black. Um, I, you know, people that I thought knew me pretty well and I considered friends were like, I can't believe you would, you know, take legal action. I never took any legal action. I never had a lawyer dealing with this stuff. I, I didn't do any of that. Um, my songs disappeared and that was really, uh, I thought uh, quite a slight and a shitty thing. And, um, I, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much because I, you know, I don't mind saying that. I'm just being honest. And I think anybody in my position would say that. So I don't think anyone can fault me. But, you know, um, those guys, I'm sure, had their gripes with me and the way I left the band. And that's fine. And, um, I, you know, maybe that was a part of their reaction to it. The good news is we're all getting along really well now. Like, um, consider Dave a good friend again. And, uh, I love playing with him and cliff. And every time I'm back in Columbus, I hang out with Sweeney, uh, go to his house and drink beer till five in the morning and listen to stuff too loud on his TV. And, um, and so I, I love where we are now. I mean, that was back in 2005, some shit happened and I don't, I, I don't know why it happened. And I, and I actually have talked to Dave recently about, um, I would say maybe a couple months ago, I don't know how it came up, but he said something about this. And he said, you know, at the time, 
said something like, we didn't know where you were and we needed to get you to sign something so we could get your songs on the digital platform. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that's what happened. Mm. But, um, you know, regardless, he brought it up and said, we need to get this fixed and we need to talk to this person and we'll get your songs back up there. And so, oh my God, that'd you know, be amazing. That'd be yeah. so awesome if that happened because, I mean, well, obvious for obvious reasons, Ed, <laughs> but yeah. But that's beautiful, man. No, and, and like the 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 2.0 thing, I I love it so much. I love. I I will say, and this is coming from a fan thing, that for of that first 2.0 show for 50, I was and and please don't take this the wrong way. It's just me and being overly honest. Uh, I was like, why enter Sandman? You guys could have went anywhere, but you guys went enter Sandman. That's so 2005, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I... No, no, no. And, and please. You know, I know that it's not all your decision, and I'm not even trying to complain that much because you guys kill it. And and, and no, after no. years of years of you guys being, you know, apart and and to have that group back together, and you guys play as well as you did, uh, you know, that that says a lot. So he's, no, when you when you're a fan of a band who plays a different set every night and has surprise encores and stuff like that, there's nothing wrong with criticizing the choice of a, you know so you have no reason to apologize for that comment well i don't um, want to i'm and, not trying to hurt anybody's feet or step on toe you know like i'm it, it, we're not here no, to i'm not a, here to make enemies a, i'm here to you know tell your story so i don't want to be all fucking if anybody was made an enemy for that simple comment then they're an idiot uh no that's <laughs> a, a fair comment that i agree with i as oh. a fan i would have also said exactly what you just said and as one of the people in 2.0 uh to be uh, honest i was not uh keen on that choice myself right on well <laughs> well i appreciate the honesty uh, yeah. um so so now this is i mean now you're on your own and you're doing your own thing and you have this beautiful new album out that came out well yeah, it came out around the uh hookahville 52 right in september yeah, it was august, august august is when august. it came out yeah thanks man oh no it's so beautiful man and i, I loved the idea um, what 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 gave you the idea to do this sort of retrospect of of your songs and, and then to strip them down? What was the what 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 drove well, you? Well, I um I have um a lot of old songs that people still request when I come to Ohio to play shows, and uh you know a lot of times I get messages, uh, emails and whatnot saying where can I find this on CD and stuff? And there's just no good recording of them. So, you know, part of it was like, I, I found that there's a bunch of old songs of mine that people still like to hear and want good recordings of. I was like, well, I, maybe I should record them. Um, <clears throat> so then I kind of made, started making a list of songs of mine that have not been recorded well, uh, that people still seem to want to hear. And I was surprised just I had to actually hone it down. It was, you know, I had like 20 songs or something and I had to pick from it. And and then I, I didn't want to drive myself completely crazy uh, playing songs that are super old. I mean, it's hard to get pumped up to go in the studio and work that hard on songs that you wrote when you were, you know, 19. You know, <laughs> so um, it's just more fun to do new stuff, you know, but I, you know, so I, I tried to throw in a couple things that were, you know, th well, there's one song that was brand, brand new. Um, and because partly because of that, it's one of my favorites. On Is the it album. every, every, yeah, dude, I was um, that I, there's seriously a note made because I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was the okay. song that I, that I was going to intentionally bring up 
because I loved that um, you're 50 and 50-year-old uh, Ed's voice um, was, when I heard that song, it was like a new way of hearing you sing. Like, I've oh. never heard that come from you personally. I mean, you might have sang like that for a long time and f for years now, but, um, and, and like your age, your voice aged well, n unlike Bob Dylan's, <laughs> who I didn't really like his <laughs> voice anyways, but God, it just went south. Um, but, but like, you know, like sometimes these singers after a few years, they just too much smoking and drinking. It just goes to shit. But I was like, wow. I was like, did it, I, to the point where I didn't even think it was you. And I had to like listen, and then as soon as you started like really opening up, and you know, I was, oh, there he is. But um, please go on with what I so rudely interrupted you to just. No, you're fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and thank you for the uh, compliment. I appreciate. I think maybe one thing that's different about that song is I sing in a pretty low register in, yes. the, in the beginning of it, and so that, uh, yeah, so that might just sound different. And I'm not often down there for that long. You know, I might hit low notes in passing, but to to hold out whole phrases down there maybe is different about that song. But um, yeah, so I, you know, I just collected these, I mean, back to the approach of the album, I just wanted to put a bunch of old stuff on there and, and make a nice recording. And I like the idea of doing a, uh, a more stripped down approach. My first album, Alexander three and other stories was very involved and, and took a year and a half of piecing together musicians and parts and, uh, layering um and i loved it i mean i loved that process i could do that every day i but but i just wanted to try something more stripped down and organic and and there was also a logistic uh thing to it i i don't live in denver anymore so the studio i wanted to use in colorado springs was uh i knew i was going to have to go banging out in a short period of time so i flew out there in february of of this year i think or march or something and and over the course of five days did all the singing and acoustic guitar and bass parts um myself in a, in a short period of time so that's you know that helped um that went along with the stripped down nature of the thing but um but yeah that's kind of the uh the idea i had for for that album well it was a great idea can we uh is it all right if we play every is that is that okay with yeah you? absolutely okay sure. we're gonna listen to every and we'll be right back Fateless route 
infinite destinies yet I still found you I still found you Pick a day Ten years before we'd even met Snapshots from paths that hadn't Thought to cross just yet You there in the morning Making breakfast for your kids Me two time zones over Still dreaming in my bed Maybe I was happy then And you were getting by Maybe we let moments pass So one day our moment arrives Once went riding bareback I don't know what got in my head Almost got knocked out when the horse ran in the shed Once climbed the fire escape to the roof of a hotel Saw the sunrise over Sunset Strip Seemed I'd chosen well Once I helped a crazy man down the mountain in the dark Took him to the voting booth we both made our mark It all seems unrelated When I'm looking back today Wasn't every, every step I took Leading me to you someday To you someday Pick a day, twenty years before we'd even met Snapshots from past that hadn't thought to cross just yet Far and fast away you rode as if your horse had wings Foolishly but fearlessly I searched for words to sing Maybe you were happy then I was getting by Maybe all those moments passed So one day Pick a day thirty years before We had even met Snapshots from past that hadn't Thought to cross just yet You there with your surfboard Laughing on the beach some maple until the world was out of reach maybe we were happy then off in our separate lives maybe all those moments passed so that one day our moment arrived I've ever had
back so you guys got the <laughs> that was great right that was amazing <laughs> um so so uh, so you guys could kind of hear what i was talking about uh with the with the ed's voice being that which which you explained is is a lower register that you're singing in and, and it just was like I was just like, who is this? Who is this singing to me right now? I, <laughs> I, I, did he have a guest singer? And obviously not. But uh, yeah, it was great, man. It was it was really uh, it was really cool to hear you sort of uh, expand on your voice. How do you feel about your voice as it, you've grown with it? How do you feel about it? How has it changed? And do you like what your voice is becoming? Yeah, I feel I feel good about it. Um, I think that. Uh... I think that I'm, you know, in the right conditions, I've, I've managed to get a handle on that vibrato that was sort of out of my control. We talked about that a little earlier. Um, and I have hearing aids now. I, I don't use them often on stage, certainly not with, with a full band, but uh, the hearing aids help me to, you know, hear the notes better, frankly. And, and that helps me control the vibrato and, and know, you know, when to use it. And instead of having it just psychologically come out as a crutch so i can hear what where where i'm singing um but uh but yeah you know i feel good about it i i i still feel like when i when i'm up on a i go to i like to go to open stages around here in vermont um there's just some great like you know some 200 300 year old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere that has a restaurant and a pub in it where there'll be an open stage you know and open mic and it's fun to go there and just um try out new songs or try out songs i don't normally play um and and watch people's reaction and i still feel like when i open my mouth uh the sound that comes out makes me feel good i feel strongly about it i feel like i'm doing that thing we talked about earlier where i can jump into a role and and really feel something so um and you know when i hear myself on my last two albums i'm really yeah, I'm happy with my voice. Well, well, me too. I mean, uh, the so the the light. Uh, let's see, the the life in their bones is the latest album, and where can people pick that up? Well, um, on my uh, there's a link at my uh, Facebook Ed McGee Music on Facebook. There's a link there to my online store, which is called Alexander's Trading Post. You could do a search for Alexander's Trading Post uh too i think and you'll find it online it's a it's a it's through square one of those online stores but it's called alexander's trading post and uh yeah otherwise ed mcgee music has a link to where to buy it and then it's also at cdbaby.com um you can get the uh what do you call it digital version there cdbaby.com I was curious. Um, I was curious that you you didn't put any of the albums out on the the Spotify's and stuff like that. Uh, was was there a reason behind that, or is it just you just didn't get there yet? I didn't get. I plan to actually. Okay, cool. I, mean, I will be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and of course, Alexander the Third was right after the band. How how long after the band did you record that? 
After hookah, I'm saying. I know well, you had like a whole because you had one under, like two. Yeah, we didn't even talk about one under. Ooh. Right, yeah, we skipped the one under chapter. We just skipped right over that <laughs> shit. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to do like another segment. Oh well, I'm um, I'm, to- I'm totally down. Uh, I know we're we're on two hours here, and that's usually my cutoff point. But uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I you're willing to talk to me, so <laughs> I'm sort of milking <laughs> it. But but I will wrap up because I'm sure you have plenty to do in your life. So um, yeah, so all those those albums are available. Uh, right now and i'll make sure i put the link in the show notes so uh, you could just go and click right on there and buy it i suggest you do it it also has it looks like there's a holiday special going on where you got eight dollar t-shirts and the shipping is free so do go there and do buy stuff for christmas for your loved ones uh, I think this is going to be out before Christmas. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, go buy stuff. Uh, but, but I had a couple more questions for you. Uh, just kind of quick stuff. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of the ways you activate your creative process when you're trying to? Activate my creative process. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> um or or is do you even look at it like that or or do you just is that not how you create is it just like you're just walking down the street and like oh shit i got this idea i gotta go do it or or do you actually sit down and work and like okay i'm gonna write a song right now i like to create a little nest with all my art supplies and my cat and a cup of tea Ooh. i'm just kidding that's my wife's answer <laughs> to that question I um She's right there. So I was just was uh, she she had to answer that same question in one of her uh, interviews, and so I was trying to copy it. Um, <laughs> I eat an avocado and drink some tea and make a nest. Well, um, I mean to be to, but to speak on the <laughs> avocado thing, healthy fats and the omega threes and sixes and that it actually will help with the creative. I process. love avocados. Yeah, avocados are amazing. They're a superfood, which I think they just call it superfood to sell them. But you know, whatever. <laughs> it's super the guacamole ball. The guacamole um, ball. <laughs> I just I saw this great thing that was like, uh, damn, another wooden ball for a toy. I wish that whoever's making these avocados would put a different t- uh, toy surprise in there. <laughs> like they're a cracker jack or something. Another wooden ball. <laughs> God damn it. I got like fifty of these things already. Um no, so creative process. I first of all, I love playing after the world has gone to sleep when it's Mm. dark and like everyone is just, it's almost like, I almost feel like sometimes there's more, there's more brain waves in in the air because everyone's asleep. And there's more for me to tap into if it's the rest of the world is, is unconscious and I can just drink beer and, and work on something at three in the morning or four in the morning. Um, So I like to just have that, that quiet and the and the late night this the kind of like romantic spookiness of late night when it's just dark and you don't know what's outside the window and uh i like that space and so in our house um i go down to the basement room because it's pretty well sealed off sound wise and um i can sing loud and i can play guitar pretty loud and no one's gonna wake up and um so and then as far as just like the, the actual creativity of it, I feel like I'm constantly just like getting little sparks, getting little things, things jump out at me. And I jot them. I have like a, a long list of notes in the notes part of my iPhone, just some concept or a phrase. Like I, I love the way phrases just sound sometimes. That's a cool sounding phrase. So I'll just like 
write it down and and then you know try to manipulate it or figure out what character is saying it and wh- how does it belong in a story or a song or you know and so it's, that's kind of like a daily thing and so when it when i do get the chance to go down at three in the morning with my guitar then i can look through those notes and start developing ideas and um you know, and other times it's 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 almost like a therapeutic thing. Like I'll have something on my mind that I need to uh, to work out. Like I had a friend that I was really worried about recently, um, and uh, I wrote a song about it that is my new song, and I love it. And um, I love playing it; It makes me feel better about things. Um, so you know, sometimes it's like a reaction to that. So that that's awesome, man. That so so like you're saying you said uh, that you kind of will work you'll work daily on 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 writing or it's a daily thing for you it's a daily ritual for you yeah like any i mean i want to say work because it's kind of like i might just be sitting at a stop sign and i and i saw uh, or a phrase came into my mind or, or that you know you know what i mean like i'll mm-hmm. just see something and it'll occur to me to just jot it down and uh um, I wish I could, I have examples and I should just look at my phone right now. Um, and I'm holding it, but, uh, let's see if I can find any examples for you. Sure. That'd be great. Um, well, I've got one song I'm working on right now. That's um, almost done called, um, well, it's going to either be called always and everywhere or here, here. And no, what is it going to be called? now and everywhere or always and everywhere and um i was kind of just like uh i was thinking about the 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 snarky phrase where people say um there's a time and a place for that like when you're getting scolded for something and uh i just i hate that phrase there's a time and a place for that sounds so condescending and and whatever and i was so it made me think what would be a good response to there's a time and a place for that. I was like, yeah, it's now and everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, nice. and, so, and I started developing this song about, you know, about someone who's, who's basically responding that way. And, um, and I love it. It's fun. You know, so like that, you know, I might've been just sitting at a red light when I was or driving, when I was thinking that, and as soon as I got a chance to stop, I, I write down in my notes section of my phone now and everywhere. And then later on, um, I put it together with the music and make a story out of it or whatever. So, um, that's my example, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that's just like one or two of the many ways that things kind of occur to you, but that, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, what, what, this, this is coming from a friend. This question is coming from one of my friends who's actually the friend who, uh, introduced me to hookah. He said, hookah 2.0 tour. When's it happening? <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, people ask me sometimes if, uh, if I would ever, you know, rejoin the band or go on a tour or whatever. And I don't think rejoining the band is, is necessarily possible, um, for me. I don't know if, if I could, you know, like I'm so incredibly grateful to be friends with those guys again and to be able to sit in with them from time to time and, you know, hang out with them and laugh and, and, you know, with the times we get together at Hookahville, um, I think are supreme, and I think we're. I think we still manage to kick ass despite the fact that we're not touring. Like you know, we used to have it so dialed in because we were just playing four nights a week. But even without that, I think we did a pretty damn good job in these last few reunion type things. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know if it would be smart to uh, 
to do anything more than that. I, I, I could, I could imagine, I could fathom and, and I could palate, I could stomach the idea of <laughs> trying to find the right verb. I, I think I could, I could handle the idea of going on a, on a, you know, a little tour with them, you know, if we did a few shows or something, you know, yeah. string of six shows or I, you know, something like that, just as a tour, like yes. just to say, this is a, you know, doing a run with, with Ed singing or whatever. Mm. Um, I could handle stuff like that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to answer your friend's question, uh, that's up to those guys, you know, like mm. it, I'm, I'm always willing to, um, to come sit in with them or open up for them or go out to dinner or drink beer with them, whatever, you know, like, uh, I feel like, you know, we're, we're older now. We were friends now again. And it's more just about like what, you know, what, what'll be fun and, you know, maybe pay the electric bill this month. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that, no, that's great. I, 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 I like the idea of friends with, uh, you know, like enjoying your time that you spend with them, but it's a good amount of time before you see them again. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I mean, I like the friendship. You know, yeah, for of sure. course. Yeah, for sure, man. Cause I, I had a similar thing. I mean, it wasn't a band and it wasn't on a scale like you guys. It had nothing to do with band, but I had a friend that had a falling out for years. And ever since I moved back to Toledo <clears throat> from San Diego, I, uh, it's been like uh, it's been really nice to have him because he's like the oldest friend I have, but mm -hmm. like we but we can very easily slip back into the bad side of the relationship. So we see each other like three or four times a year, and then it's mm -hmm. like, it, but we're happy to see each other. You know what I mean? So like, right. that's I think those are great. Those are great relationships, and, and, and especially if you're trying to. Like you, like you said, you're like we're friends again. So why would I want to like start stirring that up? Because at the end of the day, they are your brothers, you know. And and you went to war with these guys, and you know it's fucked, dude. They're 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 always gonna be your, you know, your your people. It's just sometimes you don't agree with them. <laughs> you know, I I don't even know if it's all that to be honest. Sure. I, I don't know if it's as bad as you're making it out. Oh no. I think no. It's, I mean, it's like, it is for me, more, but for you, it's probably something yeah. completely different. No, I just, it's more just like, I'm so, I'm so grateful for, for what I have right now, mm -hmm. the situation. I'm so happy in this situation and, and I'm a little afraid to mess with it, you know, yeah. like uh, outside of like doing these McStarcat shows, which are a total blast and the occasional sitting in with hookah, you know, like. It, it would make me nervous a little bit and I don't even know why. Like, I'm not saying that I think we would argue or anything. It wasn't yeah. even that bad to begin with. It mm. was just, you know, I had my own issues back then and I, I was, I was becoming unhappy for, you know, it, it's not like it was all their fault. I had a role in it, you know, mm. but, uh, um, it's, and it's not that it's not like I'm afraid of that stuff. It's more just, you know, if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a thing. Like everything's so great right now. I don't, I told Dave once, uh, last year after a, a McStarcast show, we were just hanging out after a run of three McStarcast shows. I said, you know, I don't need anything more than this. I'm not looking to weasel back in anything. And I, I just want you to know, I'm having so much fun doing these shows with you and the occasional hookah show is great. Um, I don't need anything. That's, that's making me happy. And then I go do my own thing. I go play hockey. I live in Vermont, hang out with my wife, you know, whatever. Um, I don't need anything more than this. So like if, if they asked me to do a run for two weeks or three weeks, I could probably handle that. But if they were like, um, 
anything more than that, it would cause some serious pause because that would make me worried that that what we have is uh, you know it's maybe a delicate thing and maybe we should just leave it where it is. I don't know. And plus, I mean, the band is the band now, and and they're great. So it's like, like you know, that there's it's I. I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in that sense. It's like, you know, I, I would love to see a tour of you guys. Because the great thing about tours is, like, you start in one place, and by the time, you know, like, what I'm saying, in your plane as a band, you start one place, and by the end of it, you, you're just so tight, and you just know, you know, like, you could feel each other's heartbeats. And so it would be so cool to see you guys, like, worked out to that point again and, and yeah. that's what i would want to see I, I mean i think uh you know 2.0 forever band i don't know like I, I think you guys had a great run and and of course i mean everybody would love to see that but i mean i, I kind of see where you're coming from and i kind of agree with that i'd rather have you guys all fucking cool and have these great special moments than you know nothing at all or you know i don't know uh, that's yeah. coming from a fan side today. I just wanted to do one more thing because I, I'm a glutton for punishment, and, and then we'll end <laughs> this. Um, we have met before a long time ago in 2003. I've been debating this whole time whether or not I'm going to tell you this and, <laughs> <laughs> because it's embarrassing. Uh, I was drunk as shit. It was at an after party. You guys played Howard's. I think that's right. You guys played Howard's, and um, it was a bad Bowling night. Green. Uh, I'm sorry? Bowling Green? Yes, sir. Bowling Green, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. So there we yeah. go. Uh, so we were in Bowling Green, Ohio. Uh, there was an after party. You happened to be there. And I um, and I was having a bad night. I was drunk. And for whatever reason, you were you were the guy I was going after that night. And, and so I, it started off really nice. And we were talking. And by the way, I'd just seen my girlfriend make out with another fucking dude. So oh, I was... <laughs> Um, but, and I don't expect you to remember this at all. So, you know, you've met so many people. How could you ever remember something so stupid and insignificant as this? But, uh, the, uh, I, I, it started off nice. And I remember I asked you, I was like, during the show, I, I just, it didn't look like you were having fun up there. Like, are you, does this, is this not fun for you anymore? (laughs) And you kind of gave the, you kind of like took pause and you're just sort of like thinking about it and you're like. Well, you know, like I'm paraphrasing because this was like, you know, a long time ago and I was kind of drunk at the time. So and whatever else. But uh, you said something like, you know, fun's not really the word for it because it's not always fun. Uh, it's very gratifying to have this song and then give it to a group of musicians who are amazing and then turn it into something else. Um, that's sort of what I got from it. And then I was just, and then I just started being mean. I, I don't even remember what I said, but you, it quickly <laughs> changed. And you're like, you're like, what is your problem, man? And like, it, it, and it got to a point where people around you were like, why are you fucking with Ed, man? What's your problem, man? What fuck? Go-? You know, like, and so like <laughs> your fandom ro- rose up out of nowhere. It was like, what is your deal, dude? <laughs> and, and, and I was quickly ushered out of the party because I was being rude to the guest of honor. <laughs> so huh. that was one thing. Also, I used to sneak in the hookahville sometimes. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. That's it. <laughs> Well, thanks for, uh, you know, you fessing could... up. I've, I've been wondering for years who that was, and uh, now I finally know. And, <laughs> uh, and I think I know where you live. No, I, yes, I, you do. I, I don't have any memory of that. Good. But, uh, you know, I've glad. had way more, uh, way worse things happen to me than that. So if that's sure. the 
if that's the um the weight of the stone you carry that's not so bad dude <laughs> um by the not way, really this has bad. been like like uh, uh, this story has been like a a, a a story I tell people when I want to explain to them how fucking big of an asshole I was when I was drunk. So I used to get so drunk I would go after like one of my favorite bands lead singers. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how big you of know, an asshole I was when I was drinking. I think that um, maybe it was my fault uh, because I think I answered wrong. I think the answer to your question. In the first place, um, and it's actually a way I answer, I, I say this a lot now, I maybe wasn't aware of it back then, but I have a terrible case of resting bitch face. It's <laughs> unbelievable. It's true. And I, I, will, I see pictures of myself on stage all the time where it looks like, like I just stepped on a tack or, uh, or I'm like mad at, you know, at somebody. And, and I'm like, I, I've been... I, I've seen pictures from shows that I knew that I was just ecstatic and elated the entire night. And it looks like I am so pissed off. And I'm like, what is wrong with my face? And then, you know, then I just like pose for pictures with, with Lee sometime, my wife. And it, it's like, I, I thought I was smiling and I look like I'm smelling something bad. And I'm like, I think my face is broken. dude, and I, and I think it's been that way for a long time. So maybe when you said that it was cause I just was like, having typical resting bitch face yeah. and uh and that should have been my answer uh rbf okay right up. yeah <laughs> pretty sure that's what i mean i mean you it's i don't know how anybody can tell if i'm in a good mood because like when i see pictures of myself it looks like i'm pissed constantly <laughs> and i just want to like take this opportunity to assure everyone i'm really happy most of the time and having a great time i don't know why my face looks like the way it does you can't help it. You can't help it. And um, well, Ed, this has been a real honor for me. I, I truly appreciate you taking this time to to talk with me. And 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 uh, you sent me those CDs. I, I just you've just been so gracious, and and I, I genuinely appreciate it. And 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 I am a big fan. And uh, I hope I, I can't wait to hear what you're doing next. And uh, I, I'm totally enjoying what you have going now. So it's uh, it's been great. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk about the new album and stuff. And yes, which uh, is available uh, now. At uh, you can go to Ed McGee Music on Facebook and uh, find the link there. And then what was the other one? It was Alexander's Trading Post. Yeah, Alexander's Trading Post. Google Square that. online store. And you can find it there right now, right this second, if you want to go and do that. Now I'll leave the show the links in the show notes so you guys can find it easily. Ed McGee. Thank you so much, my friend. I, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and thanks to whoever it was that kicked you out of the backstage that night. I appreciate them, too. <laughs> yeah, right? <And> like, <laughs> get this fucking asshole out of here. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> no, it was like, I, I, I told my friend, I told my friend that I was talking to you, and so he gave me that question, and, and he was like, are you going to bring up how you were gonna how you were like about to get beat up by ed and i was like i don't know i maybe and then and then it happened so uh, i'm a glutton for punishment i've done this a couple times to people and it sometimes it makes people uncomfortable so i'm glad that you just sort of laughed it off and didn't be like oh great weirdo <laughs> anyways <laughs> thanks a lot ed you have a great rest All of right, your day friend. man i'm alexander keen you won't find a better doctor I might be new to the scene, but I know I got the key to unlock her. The statuette smile. 
He'd been waiting so long now He knew his hopes were too wild We ought to hear the child sing a song now The fading sunlight slipped through branches of the oaks The shadows crossed his marble face Like crazy broken spokes And somewhere halfway down the path A sudden wicked chill Five red stones cast five shadows Like dark fingers on the hill So Alexander knew The stories were true And hot water My methods are strange But we gotta break the chains From what's caught her The statue man ran And there was suddenly thunder The ritual began Alexander had a plan of such wonder And up above Creaking eaves, rain pounded on the slate. Thunder claps from an audience of gods too long and wait. Oh, Edix, oh, Eldo, oh, cried the statue of Sidia, or Tonk, or today she might remember you. And Alexander knew there's one more thing to do. Tonight, what else can you expect? Their hearts they beat in time, the souls they would connect. The man of the divine, he come to resurrect. So sacred that we bond, no curse could still infect. The storm that shook the walls Dark magic from the skies But Alex searched for light In her beautiful empty eyes And said please rise Sing the world alive Please rise Lift your voice up to the skies You're please
morning came and the storm was gone but an empty bed the sunlight fell upon while Alexander and the statue slept down the hall the goddess crept Slowly climb the spiral stair To the eastern facing turret there But you move through the curtains wide To watch the sunrise Over the mountainside And with eyes alive and gleaming
So this beloved humor is Alexander Third. And that was Alexander Three from Ed's album, Alexander Three and Other Stories, which can be found on Alexander's trading posts. Just go to facebook.com slash Music and click on the link in there that takes you right to Alexander's trading posts, or you can just follow the link in the show notes and go get some stuff from Ed McGee. Thank you so much, Ed. I super duper appreciate you coming on. It was a complete honor for me to talk and 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 listen to somebody who's been through, you know, uh, so, so much with music. Um, the level that he got to just by singing is just incredible. I I loved everything about this conversation. There was moments where I'm just sitting there, like nerding out completely, just sitting there. And just living in that moment as he's just saying these incredible things. Uh, because uh, acoustic hookah has this lore built around them, you know, like they, and, and if you don't know who acoustic hookah is, it's okay because acoustic hookah was very, it is still a, a prominent band in the region here in the Ohio Midwest region, uh, in, the, in the hippie scene or in the jam scene. So, you know, they, it, it was just incredible to hear, you know, these different stories and different, different untied loose ends tied for me personally as a fan. So as a fan, I was just sitting there and it was like reveal after reveal after reveal. That's how I felt about it personally. I don't know how you felt about it. I mean, you might never even heard of Ed, but that's what's great about this podcast is that we talk to people that you might never, ever even heard of, but they're insanely awesome. So, and Ed's just on that next level. Like, he's just, like, his songwriting is just, is top notch. I know I'm dick riding right now. I'm dick riding real hard right now, but I just... You know, uh, it was a very exciting moment for me, and and to be able to do this, have this podcast, to be able to reach out to people that I used to just listen to constantly and, and be obsessed with, a, a local on a local level here, like to me is is huge. I do want to go after Gilman Terra's party dream. I'm telling you right now, I want to talk to those guys. I know you never heard of those guys either, but they're fucking incredible. And I, I want to talk to him. I'm like, I've had like these obsessive moments where I, where I think about it and I play out this weird story of me like doing almost like an audio documentary of like, where are they now? You know, that type of thing. But that's not what this show is. And I don't know how far I would actually pursue that. I'm busy. Things happen. All I can't keep up with all the ideas that I have because I just have so many great ideas. <laughs> which I don't have great ideas all the time. Anyways, thank you very much, Ed. I super duper appreciate it again. And um, I, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Write the show at wespeakenglishgood at gmail.com. Let me know. Did you enjoy this episode? For me personally, even though we had all these technical issues, which really, oh my God, just so embarrassing. Uh, but for me, it was just a very... 
uh, like you know, Ed was very open with what he, you know, he's very open with what he wanted to talk about, and he was very open with what he would agree to talk about. You know, and, and we didn't agree to anything really before the podcast, but you know, there's this agreement that's made during a conversation where they tell you it's like, well, I'm not going into this too deep. They let's let you know, just back up a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes I try to push in those moments, but I don't. I, I don't feel like pushing is necessarily always what you have to do because uh, I don't know, like if you just let people talk, they'll give you what you want. And it's not like I wanted Ed to tell me, he's like, oh, I fucking hated those bastards and I quit hookah because I'm fucking better than, you know, like there was no expectations like that, but it was, but, but it was just nice to hear it from him because you hear all these rumors and yes, I've heard a lot of rumors and uh, it's just nice to clarify it with the source. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm talking about with lore that surrounds the band and surrounds the members. And, you know, it's the type of band where everybody just sort of knows everybody's name in the band. You know, it's not like Nine Inch Nails where you go see them live and there's Trent Reznor and then that guy and then whoever he hired, that guy. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, the band, the band as a whole was something and then individually each member carried something as well and 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 then the stories that surround that that orbit those that that you know tight-knit little clan of human beings so it's it's just great to have those loose ends tied up for myself uh give me a peace of mind Go to reinamystique.com, R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E.com and check out our latest album, 1018. We had a blast recording it on to tape on vintage gear. Uh, It's just, you can hear it. I love the audio production of this as well as uh, as the musical content, of course. But uh, it's just, it was a very special thing for us and we know you're going to love it. So, Rainamystique.com. While you're on the website, go to the experience tab and find out where me and my lovely wife are performing in the Toledo area. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at We Speak English Good at um, at We Speak English Good. That's it. <laughs> follow us at We Speak English Good on Instagram or Facebook. Again, I'm going to get back on the tutorial things. I, I'm going to actually try some different things and see what works. I know that you guys like the licks of the day, but I got some other ideas I kind of want to try out. So uh, uh, what else have we got? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can leave a review on iTunes for We Speak English Good. Go ahead and leave us a five star if you think we're worth it, or a one if you think that we're worth a one. Whatever, it's nice just that you went out of your way to do it. They make it so fucking difficult on iTunes. To, you gotta like sign it. Like I, I tried to go rate my buddy's podcast, and it's such a pain in the ass that I didn't even do it. I just never did it. I was like, okay, well, I'm just not gonna. It's too hard. So, so I appreciate it, the people who do go and actually rate the podcast. It is very. Very nice, and it's very, very helpful. Uh, it's way easier to leave a comment or, or rate it on SoundCloud or Spotify. They made it way easier. Uh, write the show at we speak English good at gmail.com. What do you guys think of this episode? I'm, I'm like really curious because I, I felt like it was great. But sometimes when I feel like things like an episode is great, it don't always turn out to be great. 
So uh, let me know what you think about that. Uh, also, that's it. That's it. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you guys are enjoying the food, the presents, and, and the presence of the people around you. Um, you know, leave politics at the door. You know, don't bring up the impeachment thing, you know, with old Uncle, you know, Roscoe. <laughs> I don't know where Roscoe. I was just trying to think of some, like, redneck Trump supporter name, but Roscoe is what came up. <laughs> All right. That's it. My computer is about to die, so fuck this. We're done. Merry fucking Christmas, everybody. Be good to your fellow human beings. HJ's for everybody. I'll see you next week. Bye. Fresh.